Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where normally each week we take a film from the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. We're doing something a little bit different today. My name is Adam St. John, and with us in spirit, as always, and the reason why we are talking about movies today is Ian Waddington. Um... Ian was a self-proclaimed Ridley Scott fanboy. He said that any chance he could get. And so today, we are going to try and create a definitive top five Ridley Scott films. I cannot do it alone. And I couldn't just do it with one. So I have gotten two co-hosts, two hosts of their own podcast, two frequent voices on the show. Mike from Cinemus and Kieran from Best Picture Cast. Mike, I'll start with you. How are you doing tonight? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm 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 like chin deep in Ridley Scott right now. So I'm um, I'm eager. I'm eager to talk about. I am literally chin deep. Nobody's <laughs> gonna get this joke right now. Only you two. Um, but I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Kieran, how are you? Adam, Mike, I'm doing good. I'm excited to finally be on with the three with the three of us. I've, I've spoken to both of you individually. I've spoken to you guys with other people, but this is uh, this is the uh, the triumphant is here. This is exciting and intimidating, and uh, but uh, but ultimately gonna gonna be a lot of fun here. So uh, I want to start off by talking about uh, just just kind of give you a platform to talk about the shows that you do. Um, uh, but also kind of give a little history there. So, so Mike, you run Cinemusts. I'm going to give you a chance here to talk about that in a second. But just so that people who aren't familiar have a history, um, Ian has been on uh, had been on your show twice. He did The Wicker Man and Don't Look Now when you were still doing the the two film episodes. He Very also once, yeah yeah he he was also on for Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. I came on for Pulp Fiction and Memento, and then also in Bruges. And Mike, you were also, you were on a thousand and one by one, uh, for bad day at black rock with Ian. And then you were also on, uh, the great escape, uh, tribute episode. So, um, Mike, a platform to talk about your show or, or, and, and, or any of those things that I, I just said. Some shows that I love dearly. And, uh, yeah, I, I run cinemas, the podcast on perpetual hiatus, thanks to a full-time job and a toddler, but I try to get out what I can. <laughs> Um, for anybody who's not familiar, Cinemus is your the sibling podcast to 1001 by 1, pulling movies from the same book, 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. Uh, I get to pull from previous editions to those, so not just the 1001 in the current edition, but same gist. We have, uh, we have a big structure, thanks to my OCD, but we talk about a movie and we pick it over to the audience to decide if the movie we talk about truly deserves to be on the list of essential cinema which um, you guys had a great track record. Pulp Fiction, Memento, both made it. Uh, Ian's, I think Wicker Man made it. Don't Look Now did not. And I don't think Lockstock did either. But he was, uh, he was fine with that. <laughs> we, we had agreement there. And those were super, super fun shows. And I was glad to, ha- to have him on. And when things settled down for both of us, hope to have you back on too, Adam. I also, I feel like an ass because I just forgot that because I think maybe because the last few months have been a blur, I was actually just on again for the graduate. I feel awful for not saying. Oh, you're right. That. Well, I I should have brought that up too. The graduate, a pretty handy cinema, essential movie. Um, <laughs> as if we couldn't have guessed it. You're you're fine because I totally forgot that too. I just 
followed you right into that. I've spent hours prepping this spreadsheet and I fucking forgot to graduate. I, I, this, we're, we're off to a rollicking start. I can't wait. The big fish is cliche. It's fine. <laughs> uh, and then, and then Kieran. So, um, uh, we had you on for our, our Roman holiday episode, which I think was a first watch for all three of us when we did it. Um, I also had you on for the Lawrence of Arabia tribute episode. And uh, I've been on over at Best Picture Cast for Ben-Hur and The English Patient and the most recent Oscars and any tournament stuff where Melissa and I can just rant and rave while we're drinking wine. Um, so, uh, uh, Kieran, uh, platform for you. Sure. Yeah. Best Picture Cast. We go through all of the Best Picture winners. We do them in a, a somewhat random order. We'll, we'll pick them as we go. And we have a little bit of a panel. It's kind of like a round table. We sit around. We do it long form. We have some fun with it. We don't take it all too seriously. We have moments of taking it probably way too seriously and others where we're probably not taking it anywhere serious enough. So we, we keep a, a good mix uh, of everything here. It's it's always a lot of fun to kind of mix and match the the different personalities with the different style movies because the Oscars obviously cover many, many decades from the late 20s all the way to the 2020s. So it's 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 quite a, an interesting whether you agree with the movie should have won or shouldn't have won. That's not really what we're about. We just focus on the one movie, the one year, and we dive right into it. We've had uh, Adam, as you mentioned, you've been on for a couple uh, a couple sandy epics with uh, with English patient and Ben Hur and Mike. You, you're coming up too. We're gonna I'm get uh, or tackle our first ever Frank Capra movie, and you'll be right there for that. For uh, you can't take it with you. Looking forward I, to that. I'm so excited. I'm such a big Capra guy. And Kieran, you, you understand? You got some great talent on that show. It's so good. I continue to steal them from you for my show. Like, pr- thanks for loaning everybody out. Oh, they're always excited to uh, to fill in over this. Cinemus is a is a great a great podcast uh, along with One Thousand One by One, which now the One Thousand One by Ones you see are up on this on this uh, below freezing feed. Go and check out the old ones and and take not just from Adam's wisdom but from Ian's wisdom too. Uh, just I, I always go back and still listen to them if I if I freshly watch one of the many movies you covered. And I'll say about about Cinemus, I was on there twice as well. Forgot about me there too, Adam. Um, <laughs> Hey, I, you know, yeah. there's only so much I can prep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I covered Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which was a fun episode. Uh, I think last summer, Mike, you and I tackled that. Mm-hmm. And David Lean's Brief Encounter, which was a first watch for me, which was super exciting and intimidating. And I loved, loved that episode that we put together, Mike. It's a, that was a great show. Just a uh, great conversation, a, a great a great viewing with that movie. I highly anticipate um, I highly encourage anyone who has not seen a brief encounter to check it out. It's an easy watch. If you're David Lean, you think you're going to get four hours or five hours of, of some sort of weathery epic, but no, it's uh it's an, it's 90 minutes and or maybe even less and, and a good watch. So, and, and, and a bunch of the best picture cast guys have been in there too for cinema. So check them out. And you, and you still get the trains. If that's what you're into David Lean for, you still get lots it. Lots of trains. Yeah. Yeah. We're at best picture cast on, all the social medias you can follow us and follow along with whatever wacky tournaments we're doing. We just uh, completed two tournaments, a sports movie tournament and a, a romantic comedy tournament. And uh, the, to, they were speaking our, our princess bride, which won the rom-com uh, was released today. And next week we'll have uh, a league of their own as the sports movie that won. So both fun episodes. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, some of those past um 
a thousand one by one episodes because I have definitely been listening to them a lot uh, over the last uh, few weeks. Um, and for different reasons, um, I like I, I I re-listened to the Great Escape episode that Mike was on. I re-listened to the Roman Holiday episode that that Kieran was on. Um, I wanted to listen to uh, a ranking episode so I could kind of have it in my head. So I I re-listened to our Christopher Nolan ranking episode. Um, I also listened to uh, uh, one of the ones that was maybe the hardest to listen to, which was the one uh, the first one that uh, Liz was on when we did the dark the Dark Knight. Um, which was a really uh, fun one to listen to. That is my favorite thousand and one by one moment ever where she coins the term murder splain. <laughs> that is easily my favorite thousand and one by one moment. And that, and, and that, that was only the first time that happened like on mic, but that was a, that was a frequent thing where we would talk about stuff that we were watching. Liz would drop any of the, of the podcasts that she had, she had seen or, or, or like a docu-series. And we would like write down like, oh shit, Melissa, are you clocking these? Because I don't know any of these. Um, but um, on my way home today, uh, I was listening to our episode on, on Andre Rublev, which was the second uh, Tarkovsky film that we covered. And I, I love doing below freezing with Melissa because it's just a lot of fun and and uh rewind has been such a kind of cool experiment to to kind of be with but I so miss talking about good movies and I I miss talking about them in particular with with Ian and I forgot just how much fun it, it was but also how much I felt like I learned about uh, uh cinema by by tackling these movies and talking about them with him um so, um, we're the time timelines here are going to be interesting, but I, so I just want you both to know anybody listening that, so this is going to be released, uh, two days before the anniversary of Ian's death. Um, if you follow us all the way back, we are recording this three years exactly from the time that we dropped our alien episode, which just makes all the sense in the world considering who we're talking about today. Um, we're also this so this episode is going to be released um uh, uh on basically it's one day and a year removed um uh from when we dropped our last director ranking episode which was on uh Sofia Coppola and the day that we recorded Shaft um and we did we did do our tribute episodes um and again thank you to everybody who was involved with that we did 12 Angry Men Lawrence of Arabia The Great Escape 2001 American Graffiti, Blade Runner, and With Nail and I. Um, but I knew that this day was coming, and uh, I, I, I feel like I still haven't done enough in whatever way that I can to celebrate Ian. And um, as much as Ian was a Kubrick fan, he talked so much more about this man right here, Ridley Scott. And I figured, let's, let's talk about uh, the, the director that I think had the most... Uh, influence on Ian as a, as a film lover growing up. So um, that's why we're here today. We're going to talk about Ridley Scott. We're going to do what we do with some of the other ranking episodes. We're going to switch it up a little bit. Um, before we dive deep into the world of Ridley, I wanted to ask you both, what was your gateway drug with Ridley Scott? What was the movie that you were first introduced to this guy from? Uh, Kieran, I'll start with you. Sure. For me, it is pretty easy. When I was 15 years old uh, with a friend and uh, his his father, who, uh, you know, he, 
led us into an R-rated movie, you know, that that uh, we wouldn't weren't able to get in on our own devices. And that movie was Gladiator. And to this day, one of my favorite movie going experiences. Um, it's hard for anyone who has just gotten into seeing movies in the last five to 10 years to truly explain what it was like to see something like that in, in the year 2000 as a 15 year old, uh, the spectacle it was on screen. I mean, we'll never get to know what a Lawrence Arabia or a Ben-Hur or a 2001 a Space Odyssey felt like way back when it was even bigger spectacle. But I do have uh, I have that uh, I have that to hold close to. And that was really the first Ridley Scott movie that 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 meant something to me. So a little later in life than, than most people, I think, because I think some of those earlier films are probably ones that people watch when they were little. But but it was it was uh, Russell Crowe and, and Gladiator for me. Mike, how about you? Um, my first contact with this movie is that'd be alien for me. I'd be around the same age as you, Karen, around 15 um just knowing the legendary franchise and kind of through James Cameron, who at the time was probably like my second favorite director and wanting to watch aliens. But if you're going to do aliens, you have to do alien first. Um, but I guess on a technical level, mine would be gladiator as well, because even before that would have been about 11. I, I didn't see gladiator at the time, but I, I distinctly remember being in the car with my aunt and we were on our way back from chicken run, which is very not gladiator. <laughs> Um, but I was obsessed. It was R-rated. It was violent. I couldn't go see it, but I kept like probing her like, what happens? What's it about? And all this. And, and I was very fascinated with what happened in Gladiator and it took me a couple of years to see it. So I, I actually seeing the movie, it's alien being fascinated with the movie. I hadn't seen it was Gladiator. Uh, and I think it's funny. I think we all are of a similar age that when I say that my answer is also Gladiator, um, it's probably not going to surprise anybody. Um, now I was a I was aware of Alien obviously as a franchise and I think unfortunately at that point I'd only seen Alien Resurrection which is um just just so bad. It's just really not fun. Not is it though? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Maybe, I mean, this isn't the show for it, but I said yeah, maybe we'll do that on Below Freezing. Um but uh but I remember uh uh Gladiator so I would have been about 13 when that came out and I know, I know that I didn't see it in theaters. Um, but I basically had carte blanche at the local, uh, video rental store. Um, my mo mom gave permission and I know that I rented it and I know that I rented it that the Tuesday, do you remember when new releases were released on Tuesday and that's when you would go and get them? Ha, the good old days. But I remember going, uh, to rent gladiator and, uh, I had to watch it in my parents' bedroom because again, dating myself, that's where the VCR was. So, um, I, and I started it late and my mom was not happy because I basically was like forcing them out of their own room so I could finish <laughs> gladiator. Um, but like, and, and this is when I'm, I'm, I'm just getting into high school. I'm just starting to like dip my toe into the acting waters and Russell Crowe, I think a, even before Ridley, I was like, what a performance. I was just captivated by the performance and then as years go on i got to appreciate the craft more but it it for me it is it is definitely it is definitely russell crowe as maximus decimus meridius in gladiator um so thank you for for sharing just a little bit about your your uh your foray into the world of ridley scott um so in these i, I just want to i just want to throw in if i don't i don't mean to but you know uh 
with being that we're doing this with, you know, in Ian's memory and, and everything, I, I just wanted to say that when I started my podcast, both of your guys' podcasts were the first places I kind of went for inspiration when I was digging around with movie podcasts that were done by regular people like me, not, not you know, major corporations or, or any or entities like that. And uh, Mike, your voice, Adam, your voice, and Ian's voice as well. And Ian was probably out of the, the three of you guys, the first one that I really spoke to and, and became close with in, in going back and forth about these podcasts. So to be here talking about his favorite director is, uh, is a super honor. And it's a trip for me to be on here with the two of you guys and doing this. So I just wanted to, before we, we really take the, the total plunge here, I wanted to just to get that off my chest. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. And, um, uh, it was, I, I will say, and I think I, 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 at least off mic mentioned this to both of you, I think, but, but, um, just kind of for the record, I guess, um, Ian, Ian ran the Twitter for a thousand and one by one. And, uh, that was just something that he, he did. Um, and it was, uh, it was a real, uh, it was very eye opening in a, in a very heartwarming way to kind of get that, um, bestowed to me from, from Liz once she was able to do that. And to, to see that, I mean, and I, and I don't want that to sound very um, invasive. I hope you don't take it that way, but uh, it was, it was so great to see that. Um, Cause like, you know, Ian would mention things like, Oh, I talked to Mike or I talked to Kieran on Twitter. And I said this thing about that. I'm like, Oh, cool. Great. You know, it was one of those things that he'd quickly pass along before we started recording, but to see the, the depth, to see the, the history of it, um, it, it, it still to this day brings a, a really, a great, a great smile to me because I, I, I love thinking about that, that, that he, he was striking up these relationships and, and I, I always, uh, appreciated that. Yeah. I was touched to hear that then and touched to hear now. And, and the man was passionate about movies and, uh, and there were the evidences right there where it was just a blast to talk to him about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. We miss those, those threads and, and I'll just echo with Kieran. It's, it's a, it's an honor to be here, not just to, to be picked to talk about you know, good friend and the director he loved, despite the fact that in those Twitter threads, you'll probably find evidence of me telling him like, I don't get it. <laughs> so <laughs> and true, true to form, I'm, I'm here to do my best to honor him, but also maybe to piss him off just a smidge. He, I honestly, he would not have it any other way. He would not. <laughs> um, so, uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, when we would do the rankings, we, we would find ourselves kind of, um, falling on a word or an idea that was sort of associated with whoever we were talking about. When I listening to the Christopher Nolan one, again, we, we kept talking about scope and, um, and size and playing with time. Uh, when we did the Inuritu one, the word that we kept coming up with was visceral. We got a very visceral feeling from Inuritu's films. I would like to put forth the word that came to mind, if hyphenated, I believe, um, when I think of Ridley Scott, and that is world building. Like his movies, love his movies, absolutely despise his movies, and trust me, there are plenty of those. The man knew how to create a space that when you looked at it, you were like, this is very clearly this world. Um, so a little bit about the man. Um, and and again, this is already foreign territory to, for me because this was usually Ian's job when we would do this. Um, so uh, Ridley Scott, 
Sir Ridley Scott was born on November 30th, 1937 in South Shields on the northeast coast of England. His dad, Francis, was a partner in a commercial shipping business, but before that he was a merchant sailor. Ridley got his passion for drawing from his dad. His mom, Elizabeth, was the matriarch of the family. She ran it. Ridley got his passion for film from his mom. Um... Uh, Ridley Scott had an older brother named Frank. Um, uh, by Ridley's own admission, he called him a bit of an absentee brother. Uh, he joined the Merchant Navy. Um, he died young. He died of skin cancer in 1980, right as basically they were making um, uh, Blade Runner, which uh, Brittany and I talked a little bit about when we were doing the episode about the sort of very morose and somber tones that that movie took place. Um Ridley also had a younger brother, Tony Scott, a filmmaker himself. Um, Tony Scott attended uh, the Royal College of Arts, just like Ridley did, and was right there with Ridley when he started up Ridley Scott Associates, or RSA, back in 1965. Ridley Scott started his, his, first, his first ad company when he was 28 years old. I am 35. That is just fucking crazy. So all of the, uh, all of the kudos to Ridley for starting his own business. Now, I am sure I am not telling you to anything that you don't know. And uh, rather than avoid this, I'm just going to try to take it head on. And that is the unfortunate coincidence uh, to deal with Tony Scott and what happened with Ian. Uh, so in uh, August of 2012, Tony Scott uh, took his own life. He jumped off of the Vincent Thomas Bridge in L.A. Um uh, at first, people didn't quite know why. Um, years later, Ridley came out and said that he was kind of battling uh, cancer very privately. And because of that, he was also battling depression. Um, and I don't really know what else to say about that other than it it happened. Um, and I didn't want to avoid that because it would be a disservice to Ridley Scott and the fact that his brother... Um, who had a very uh, healthy filmography himself. And I would like to talk of, about a few of those movies because, again, I would be in a do, doing a disservice to Ian if I did not. Um, some of Tony Scott's films include Top Gun, uh, previous 1001 by One episode, an episode in which Ian and I attempt to sing a little bit in the episode. Um, he also directed True Romance. Uh, and for anybody unaware, that is... Uh, Ian and Liz's movie. That is their movie. Um, I I think one of them has a You're So Cool tattoo. Uh, I forget which one. Um, uh, he also directed Enemy of the State, which is probably one of my absolute favorite kind of bad movies of all time. I love that movie. Um, and and I I want to I, I want to mention this one because I I haven't seen it, but uh, Ian said this once, and I and I haven't not thought about it since he said it. So one of uh, Tony Scott's movie that he directed was Spy Game. Now, I'm going to ask if you've seen that in a second, but um, one thing that I really appreciate was that he goes, he thought that Ian and uh, he thought that Tony and Ridley had like this idea of switching scripts because in that same year, uh, um, Ridley Scott directed Black Hawk Down, which seems a lot more like a Tony Scott movie. Spy Game seeming a lot more like a, uh, a Ridley Scott movie and Ian had this theory that they were drinking one night and they were like, what are you working on? I'm working on this. Oh, I'm working on that. Let's just change scripts and, and see what happens. Um, uh, but those are just some of Tony Scott's films. Uh, Mike, I'll, I'll just kind of start with you. Any, um, any Tony Scott thoughts? Um, I'm 
less versed in Tony Scott than Ridley Scott's movies. And I like him, don't love him. I don't know that there's a Tony Scott movie I love, which I think is blasphemy. Uh, I'll put it out on the table. I think True Man's, True Romance is a good movie. I don't love it. And I think I just got to it way too late. I think that's a movie that like most people hit right in that sweet spot of like freshman year of college and it speaks to them. I'm 13 years past that. Um, I've seen all the Tarantino movies. So I watched it and I said, yeah, this is good. I don't love it. Um, but that's probably my favorite of his. Um, Top Gun is maybe one of my most hated movies of all time, which is, a, this is bad. This is bad timing with the, the sequel getting great critical reception, but I openly despise Top Gun as much as I love Tom Cruise. So not, not a great start. Um, is he man on fire? Yes, he is. Yeah. I like man on fire. Yeah. It, it's, it's a good movie. He, I mean, he teamed up with Denzel, I think like six or seven times. Yes. Mm. It's a strong frame. Uh, so I take it back. True, I think I like Man on Fire more than True Romance. So uh, if if I need to leave right now, I'll just exit stage left. You're good. You're 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 fine. You're fine. Uh, Kieran, what about you? Sure. I mean, I dig True Romance for sure. One of uh, my co-hosts at Best Picture Cast, Chris G. That's one of his favorite movies. Uh, I'll I'll throw a, a Tony Scott that I love out there is, uh, and you mentioned his collaborations with Denzel, uh, Unstoppable. A train movie with Chris Thomas. I think it was one of his final movies. It, it was super it, underrated. It was his last. Yeah, that's fun. It, yeah, it was his last movie. Um, speaking of Tarantino, uh, Tarantino is a big, big fan of Unstoppable. Yeah, yeah, and and it's and I, I see why it's awesome. You know, it's 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 just paced. It's paced great. It's it's action packed. It's it's if you wanna if you wanna sit down on a Saturday afternoon and watch an action flick, it's it's great. Um, Days of Thunder too. Right. That, yeah. I, that, that is one of the few I haven't seen of Tony Scott's. Yeah. It's super stylistic. It's not a great movie, but it's, you know, you, you, you're in on it. NASCAR's not my favorite thing in the world. I don't really understand it, but the movie's cool. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's shot. Well, the, the, the sound is great and all the things you'd expect in a, in a Tom Cruise race car movies uh, are there. So Ian once quoted Tony Scott by saying that, um, my brother Ridley directs prestige movies. My movies are a little bit more rock and roll. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. Which, um, especially if you've seen enough, of, if you've seen Domino, you know exactly <laughs> what he's talking about. Um, and so I also don't want to steamroll past uh, part of uh, Ridley Scott and his work on commercials. Um, not that I expected any of you to watch it, but did any of you, do you know any of his commercials that he's kind of known for? Just the big one, just the 1984 uh, Apple. Yes, I, I watched that one, and um, I definitely got like Fritz Lang Metropolis vibes. And I also, um, I was a little scared. I don't, I don't know that that makes me want to buy a Macintosh back in 1984. <laughs> big brother got to you too, huh? Absolutely, yeah, totally. Um, but in that same year, he did a um a Pepsi Super Bowl commercial. This was back when Pepsi was still doing the voice of a new generation commercials, um, which is which is pretty uh, good. I watched one of his Chanel number no. five commercials. I watched, I think it was an American Express commercial that that Anthony Hopkins was in. Um, and I I also watched a car commercial where um. Uh, maybe because of his relationship with Vangelis, the Chariot of Fire theme is used in the commercial. Um, but even in these commercials, Ridley is such a world builder. Like he just creates these places that are like, I see it. I get, it. I'm there. I'm absolutely 
in this world. <laughs> I um, I also pulled some Ridley quotes. Uh, we're getting we're getting closer to talking about the movie, so I just want to um, I and these are just a few of them. And by the way, if you haven't seen Ridley on press tour for the last duel. Um, getting hounded about the realism of, of his films and basically telling the journalist to just fuck off, fuck off, thank you very much, fuck off, fuck you. Um, I I highly recommend it. It is just, it's stellar. It's stellar stuff. So um, a couple of Ridley quotes. Um, uh, on on uh, talking about why his movies don't have sex scenes, he said, quote, sex is boring unless you're doing it. Um, other things that he said, um, quote, I think it's remarkable that people will give you $10 million to go and get your rocks off. Uh, never let yourself be seen in public unless they pay you for it. I think movies are getting dumber, actually. Where it used to be 50-50, now it's 3% good, 97% stupid. And, and this one, I think, is I think if you search really Scott, Scott quotes, this one will come up. He says, I'm not criticizing Hollywood because I work there. I partly live there. But I'm saying this is the way it is. Commerce is taking over art. Commerce has become the most important thing in the film industry. Hollywood is an industry. It's not an art form. Therefore, they have to address the bottom line. But in a way, it's sad when you get a remake, isn't it? So just a couple of Ridley quotes there. I have to just throw on top of that. If I highly encourage anyone out there. It's, it's a quick YouTube search. There is a Hollywood Reporter roundtable of uh, the directors who had movies that were up for the Oscars in 2016. It's a roundtable of directors. It's a must watch. It's uh, it is Ridley Scott. It's Quentin Tarantino. It's uh, Alejandro Inarritu. It's Danny Boyle. It is um, the other two are David R. Russell and then uh, I think Tom Hooper the last one so it's all the group of them around and there's a, a mediator and boy ridley steals the show anything you need to ever know about his personality or who he is you just watch that and it'll blow your mind he's just he takes over the room and it's almost like he's putting on a character and those are those are that's a that's a heavy table of names i just listed off there and it's classic it's absolutely classic i, I highly encourage anyone to check it out he's just he he holds nothing back he'll just go right at people it's it's fantastic so uh one thing that we would do on every um every director ranking is we would talk a little bit about frequent collaborators so i have a couple of the categories and um i'll go through this somewhat quickly just so people can kind of hear them um here's the interesting thing about screenwriters he never reused screenwriters or if he did, it was on one other film, but that was not his thing. And I think this goes back to, I think Ridley enjoyed getting a script and thinking about how he could shape it in, in the way that he saw it. He wasn't really about um, writing them or working with the same uh, screenwriters. That was never his thing. Um, and, and that goes the same with producers. I mean, he didn't really stick with any production company. Not really. Um, I mean, he worked with David Geiler and Walter Hill on all of the Alien films because they were just kind of attached to it, but that wasn't really his thing either. Obviously, he has his production company, Scott Free, which has been uh, behind basically every movie since Gladiator. Um, but speaking of that, the list of, of movies that Ridley Scott was not a producer on. Now, he's been a co-producer or an executive producer on, on all of them, but he did not. he was not a producer on The Duelists, on Alien, Blade Runner, Legend, Someone to Watch Over Me, 
and Black Rain. Now, here's the thing about those movies. Those are all in succession. Those are all the first movies of his career. And the only other movie that he was not a producer on is the one that wins Best Picture, which is Gladiator. He was not a... <laughs> which means that when that won, Ridley was not up on stage. <sighs> That's Crazy. gotta hurt. <laughs> Since then, he has been. Um, and some of his movies he's been the sole producer on, but we're not going to worry about that. Um, in terms of editors, he's worked with some greats. Um, Terry Rawlings on Alien and Blade Runner, uh, Dottie Dorn on like Matchstick Man, Kingdom of Heaven and Goodyear. But uh, it's Pietro Scalia who did 11 Ridley Scott movies. Um, I would say one of his most frequent collaborators um, between G.I. Jane and Alien Covenant. Um, Pietro Scalia is basically in there. Um, with uh, an Academy Award win for editing Black Hawk Down. Um, cinematography, Jan de Bont, Jan de Bont of uh, cinematography for uh, Die Hard, Jan de Bont, director of Speed and Speed 2, um, was his cinematographer on Black Rain. John Matheson uh, got some acclaim for his work on Gladiator. But Darius Wolski has done every film since Prometheus, so that is eight total. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna take a step back here and let you two kind of run off if you can uh, name some of the biggies here. Scores. Any any frequent composers you want to shout out that have worked with Ridley Scott? Zimmer, right? Hans Zimmer has done the scores for Black Rain, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Hannibal, Black Hawk Down, and Matchstick Men. It is the most. Um, he has worked with a guy named Mark Streitenfeld on a bunch as well. Uh, he did a good year, American Gangster, Body of Lies, Robin Hood, and Prometheus. Um, but I got one to shout out too, if, if you don't mind. I mean, you, I think you briefly mentioned him before in the commercial section, Vangelis, you yeah. know, d who did uh, Blade Runner with him the year after he won for Chariots of Fire, he being Vangelis. And I believe he then does the, the Christopher Columbus movie, 1492, he does with him too. Yes. And I think a bunch of those commercials, like you said, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, we'll talk, I'm sure about uh, the Blade Runner score later, but um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a Vangelis, uh, Vangelis supporter. So it's the, it, it's, it's the only good thing about Chariots of Fire. So I'll tip, I'll tip my cap to that. <laughs> um, and then in terms of actors, you know, I was, I was, there are, there are some obvious ones. Sigourney Weaver had done, uh, has done three, two of which she is severely miscast in. Um, Michael Fassbender's in a few, obviously because he plays uh, a couple of roles in Prometheus and then Alien Covenant. Um, one of my favorite um, character actors of all time, Zelchko Ivanik, um, who is in a bunch of the McDonough movies. He's in The Last Duel, Black Hawk Down, Hannibal, and White Squall, but it would be just plain silly of me to not mention the actor who's worked with him the most. And that, of course, is Russell Crowe. Um, now, without looking at any notes, do you know how many movies Russell Crowe has done with Ridley Scott? Uh, top of the head, yes. I'm going to say six was going to, but I was going to guess God. six, too. Okay. Yeah. You take it. Six? No, six. No, six is good. You're wrong. Both guess six. You're wrong. Ah. No, it's okay. Uh, it's five. Now, um, ah. Ooh, close, though. Close. It, it was. Okay. So he was in, obviously, Gladiator, A Good Year, American Gangster, Body of Lies, and Robin Hood. Now, he was slated to be in uh, Kingdom of Heaven, but he had to, uh, he, he had scheduling conflicts, so he could not be in that. Um, he was fighting around the world. Yeah, yes. I'm, I, I, or, or doing something. I actually, I actually think it was um, Cinderella Man, because it was 05. 
Um, Can, quick anecdote. Um, will you give me the character actor's name again? Zilch. Z- Zelchko Ivanik. Okay, quick, quick aside about him. I repeatedly mistake him for, I think his name is Kevin J. O'Connor, who plays Benny in the Mummy movie. And it pisses me off because this happened three times watching movies for this show. Every time I'm like, is that Kevin G. O'Connor? I have to go to IMDb and it's it's this guy instead. So I oh, know it's this it's, is it's Zelchko. Zelchko, who's been in every Martin McDonough movie. Just a fun little oh, there we about go. Him. Um so then a couple of things too. Some uh, I, I I I call this just some, some thousand and one by one bits, things that we would do um in terms of asking about the National Film Registry. Um Ian and I uh, covered Alien. Uh, Blade Runner was also in the National Film Registry. But there's a new one. Only one other Ridley Scott film has made the National Film Registry. Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Thelma and Louise made it in 2016. Other notable films from that year. Um, uh, movie already mentioned on the episode, The Princess Bride was inducted in 2016. Um uh, beloved film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. Also, there we go. Also inducted in 2016. Um, uh, winner of the BPC animated tournament, The Lion King, was inducted in 2016. And the only, yeah. other, the only other one that I want to mention because it was a movie that Ian kept saying that we would have to do on the show because he was very anti this movie. And that would be John Hughes' The Breakfast Club was also inducted in 2016. Now, I have a question with you because it's, it's on topic with what you just said and a movie you just mentioned. I heard in one of in one of the episodes, he wanted to get contentious with you over that. And he also <laughs> mentioned Princess Bride. Were, were you the one that liked Princess Bride and he disliked it or is the other way around? No, I, I like Princess Bride. Okay, and and Ian Ian had issues with it. Okay, yeah, and you know it's funny. I never really got to the bottom of why. I don't. I never really found out why he was not such a fan of that movie. But that's okay. I have I have a theory. Let's it maybe it. goes a little too. It maybe goes a little too deep into Ian's childhood and backstory and some troubles there. So I don't know if I should. I think that's okay. Well, Ian and I share a thing. We we, we grew up. Um, in the, in the Mormon church, that movie is like the anthem of, of people who grow up. So it, it is overquoted to an obnoxious degree. So it takes a lot of coming around to enjoy it. Um, and if you couple that with like a childhood that you're like, this wasn't super great. Um, that, that's a movie you can easily target and be like, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> and I like it because I dodged it for so many years. So I got to appreciate it as an adult. That's, but that was always one of my working theories because I didn't want to just accuse him as being a murderer of love or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that, and and you're very that's very spot on. He definitely grew up, uh, re, uh, renounced renounced Mormonism around the time that we were meeting in high school. So no, I don't think that's. I think that's that's Ian, Ian would be the first one to tell you that. So I think that's that's a great theory. I like that. That was that was always my. Now another I to another. Another Rob Reiner movie that I think you guys were split on too was This Is Spinal Tap. Is that one that you guys I, saw other sides on? How did he not like that movie? I don't know. That I, was always baffling to me. I, I, you know, I we he also was not a fan of. Um, he wasn't a fan of The Naked Gun. He really wasn't a fan of Airplane. I don't know if there's something yeah. about just eighties. Some of those eighties comedies. I mean, that's. Not, I mean, he loved Blues Brothers. He was a big Ghostbusters fan. Yeah, so was, I guess it's yeah. not really. It's not really an eighty. Yeah. Yeah. 
knowing knowing Ian, the rest of those make sense. Why Spinal Tap doesn't make sense to me is that Ian was a, a music file, which is not a real word, but I'm at a loss. He loved music. And I just, I just feel like that movie would be very up his alley with how much it lampoons the music industry. Like it is, it is silly, but he wasn't the guy who was void of silliness. I, I just never, I never understood that one. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I, uh, I wonder if this, he, because of that group, that group of actors that would go on to do so many things, I can't tell if there's just like a lot of maybe, uh, and it's not the same thing, but just a, a lot of Monty Python pride, like not wanting to admit uh, that there's another yeah. another troop of comedic actors out yeah. there doing doing their own thing. Um, I definitely re-listened to our Life of Brian episode, um, <laughs> um, which he he absolutely loved that movie. Um, so in terms of some Ridley accolades, uh, he's he's been nominated for Best Director three times for Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down. Uh, had a best had a Best Picture nomination that he was up for for The Martian. Um, he was uh, inducted into the BAFTA Academy Fellowship in 2018. He has four DGA nominations, and Blade Runner uh, is on the AFI Top 100 at 97 and on Sight & Sound's Top 100 at 69 in a four-way tie with Blue Velvet, Sans Soleil, and A Man Escaped. So there are just some, some Ridley tidbits there. Now, gentlemen... This is this we're not we're good we're we're gonna build our ranking here, okay? But we're gonna we're gonna switch it up just a little bit. Just a little bit. Because unlike some of the other rankings that we've done, where there's a finite number of movies, like 10 or 9 or 7, Ridley Scott has 27 movies. So here is what we're gonna do. I am going to go through his movies chronologically. So starting with the duelists. And I will say, I'll start with Kieran. I'm going to ask Kieran, Kieran, is The Duelist in your top five? You will say yes or no. If it is, I'm just going to move on because we know that we'll get to it eventually. If it's not, I'll go to Mike. Mike, is The Duelist in your top five? If it's yes, we'll wait. If no, I'll come to me. And if it is, again, we'll wait. But if it's not, if no movie makes our top five, I'll ask you if you've seen it. And maybe we'll just we'll just throw out some couple of tidbits. But that way, what we can do is we can collectively build the movies that are going to make our top five and cool. also potentially leave a little mystery as to what um, actually all of them are. Because if we get a yes right away, aha, we won't worry about it. So does this make sense? It does. I mean, yes. All right. So 1977, Ridley Scott makes his first film, The Duelists. Kieran, does the duelist make your top five? It does not, but uh, can I say right around number six? So on the should out, I do that or? outside looking? Uh, that's fine. Outside looking in, very close. Yeah. So outside looking in. Okay, yeah. so so you have seen it. Lovely. I have seen it. Mike, does the duelist make your top five? No, and I, I'm I'm sorry, Adam. I know you told me to watch it. I, the time. I, I didn't get to it, so I still have not seen the Duelist. No, that's don't, all good. All good. Uh, the Duelist. No, you're 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 gonna be mad because later I'm gonna explain to you a movie that I picked to watch in front of it, and it's really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no, it's great. Time is real. Um, okay, so really quickly, Kieran, I'm assuming first watch for this. It was indeed. It was indeed. I did my homework, Mike. I listened to Adam's uh, <laughs> insist on. <laughs> but I think I have fewer Ridley Scott movies seen than you, Mike. So don't, don't worry. Yes. Uh, I, first watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
it was a first watch. It was, uh, um, it was entertaining. Was, are we talking duelist now? Is that yeah, just, yeah. And we won't spend too much time cause there's a lot of movies, but yeah, just some okay. quick, some quick hits. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to see a period piece with Harvey Keitel speaking in a New York accent, please <laughs> check out Watch the Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is, uh, it's something real, real, it's a real fun indicator of where Ridley Scott would go with his storytelling as a director, how much he can accomplish in, in 90 minutes and, or, or so I, th- I think it's a, around that, around that length. And, you know, period pieces are not my favorite. So it's got a little bit of that, of that stench on it. But honestly, if you're someone who doesn't like period pieces, you can, you can survive the duelists and, and enjoy it because it's it's a fun story to tell and he does a nice job and i believe i'll I'll quote i'll uh i'll quote ian here with this one it is a a, uh, and this is a paraphrase but a well above average first feature i believe he called it yeah yes he did um uh uh insider baseball when ian and i were first trying to figure out a format for the show we were going to do a thing where we took three movies that shared a theme and talk about all of them and uh, to to do this, we Ian picked the first theme, which was uh, di- first time directors' first films in the seventies, and he had picked this uh, Spielberg with Duel and um, Terrence Malick with Badlands, and we were going to do um, that was it. And then so, but to test ourselves, we we got together and we were like well can we talk about this for like an hour and then uh three hours goes by and we're like okay i think we can talk about movies for a substantial period of time um and so the duelist came into my life right before we started a thousand and one by one uh i rewatched it for this um just uh, just like a couple of things about it all shot on location all real places uh around uh england france and scotland um uh, the sword play, as somebody who has been certified in a couple of swords through the uh, Society of American Fight Directors, the sword fights are really good. Um, the way the, the small sword, the very first duel in that with um, uh, Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel is like period appropriate too, which is amazing. And this is a sliding doors thing. Harvey Keitel only available because uh, he was kicked off of Apocalypse Now. Wow. Wow. There you go. And and just want to shout out to the first scene of the first movie Ridley Scott directs is an action packed sword fight. And I just think that's so cool. Yeah, it, it starts right away. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely the first time I watched it, I told and for anybody who can't get into Barry Lyndon, I call this is Barry Lyndon light. It is not as mm. long, not as dense. And uh, if that movie scares you, this one won't. Um, but also I will um, not in my top five. Um, and you get to see Harvey Keitel hang out in South France with the New York accent in the 1800s. Oh, so man. there you go. It's great. <laughs> I, I love it. I, say, I mean, and Keith Carradine sounds like he just come, came right off the set of Nashville. I mean, it's, he's not even trying to hide anything either. <laughs> right. He's hanging on Malibu Beach. <laughs> great um, stuff. Easy. Great stuff. All right. 1979. Alien. Mike, does Alien make your top five? Yes. Cool. Moving on. 1982, Blade Runner. Kieran, does Blade Runner make your top five? It does. It does. Okay. Moving on. 1985, Legend. 
Mike, does Legend make your top five? No, it does not. Uh, Kieran, does it make your top five? I am sorry to say it does not. Uh, it doesn't make mine either. Have you two seen Legend? So here's coming full circle. <laughs> I had two, two choices last night. Do I watch The Duelist or do I watch Legend? And Adam actively told me, you got to see Duelist. Don't waste your time with Legend. It's 17 minutes shorter and it's really late. So, <laughs> so I watch Legend instead of The Duelist. Okay. Um, so again, we'll, we'll keep it, we'll keep it short ish. Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Uh, what, what are your legend thoughts? I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, and that saddens me because there's a part of me, I agree with you, Adam, that if, um, if I'm going to think of the, the, the theme of Ridley Scott's filmography, if I'm not being facetious, cause two and a half hours is the first thing I think of when you say Ridley Scott, but really like world building is the thing. And you, I want to see Ridley Scott pull off like a fantasy epic. I want to see Ridley Scott do a fairy tale. I want his Wizard of Oz or Lord of the Rings. Legend is nonsensical. Um, I, I don't think like the simple fairy tale allegory just suits his style because he's he just seems to be bungling these archetypes of like the pure of heart hero, the innocent princess, the the forces of darkness and good. Like he, I don't know. It just. It seems like he wants to go deeper, especially with this final shot where he has to undercut his happy ending with like the suggestion that evil is not. I don't know. It just seems like with a lot of these monologues at the end about the balance and harmony of light and darkness, it's at odds with how Jim Henson it is. And it's just like it's, it's just a bungled kind of mess. And I didn't want it to be, but almost nothing about it worked for me it was cool to see mia sarah who i have had a crush on ever since first seeing ferris bueller's day off and i was i was all for that but it, it's just all over the place it's confusing it's weird i i wanted it to be better than it was and i just didn't dig it kieran were you able to, to fit this one in I, I was i was um and i also do not like it uh i <laughs> Um, I will say this, okay? Uh, now, while I have not seen all these movies on the filmography as we're going to go through them here, I did do a lot of polling and kind of uh, campaigning around and just and asking people about, you know, about Ridley Scott and about some of the movies. And, and this was one that came back so wacky because it would be a lot of, I mean, obviously you have the people who don't, didn't see it, whatever. But there were so many people who saw this and had this as such a, important part of their youth and oh my god legend i grew up on legend and it's like okay um all right i've never i had never even heard of it before this project so there there were a bunch of people who you know i i know and respect and, and people i go to to talk about movies with who were like yeah i grew up on legends great learn legends great and it seems like if you saw this as a kid you have you have a little piece of your heart with it and if you didn't you you probably didn't didn't have a, have a good time and that's kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll shout out the, the makeup, which I think got yeah. an Oscar nom. It, it is wonderful. And, and Tim Curry, uh, Tim Curry can do no wrong by me. And he's playing the devil. I mean, you could sign me up for that, but that's probably the, the, where the highlights ends for me. I'm, I'm so glad you said the growing up with it thing. Cause I, I, I agree. It, it's like the same way that I, if, if you were to tell me that, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two was a bad movie, I'd tell you to go fuck yourself because I think it's a masterpiece. <laughs> um, 
But it's funny, it, and 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 just because you know we're doing this in honor of Ian on my my flight back recently, I tried watching Time Bandits on the plane because Ian said he grew up with that movie, he loved it. I got ten minutes and I was like, nope, I'm sorry, I can't do it. And but I could totally get why if you saw because it's not like scary, scary. It's fantasy with a little bit of of like kind of thrilling elements to it. And I could see where if you saw that at the right age, you would you would love it. But I I couldn't get into it and. I I muscled through this one mostly because I was so interested in the absurdity of it. Um I uh I, I found this to be crazy. Now, so a couple things. Um Tom Cruise um actively campaigns against the American cut of this movie. He will tell you to watch the director's cut and we could spend we could do an entire podcast on just Ridley Scott and his director's cut. We're not going to do that. Um but I, I am kind of curious to watch it at some point because I thought this movie was just bananas. Yeah. Same. I did the theatrical and I kind of wondered, like, if I did the directors, would I like this more? Um, yeah, but uh, as you said, Adam, I feel like we're going to do this with all these movies. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and his producers Which cut did you watch? Page. There's a million cuts of all these movies. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, did you watch the, the 92 Legends cut? No. <laughs> um, there's a couple other things I thought were funny. Um, this movie uh, was one of the movies at some point that burned down Pinewood Studios. Um, and Tim Curry won a very interesting uh, award. Entertainment Weekly uh, voted him as giving the best performance in a bad movie as darkness so little it's a little extra information there he's done that a couple of times he's great in fern gully oh, and that man. movie Ooh, sucks I haven't, I haven't thought about that movie in a long time it's so bad everybody <laughs> throw, here's, here's, throw Congo here's my announcement. So, yeah everybody that like is like avatar is just fern gully light like i defy you to go watch fern gully and tell me it's more entertaining than avatar so we're, we're moving on to the year of my birth 1987, someone to watch over me. Uh, Kieran, does it make your top five? I have not seen it. Mike, does Same. it make your top? Not seen it. Haven't seen it. Uh, it does not make my top five. Um, this was and uh, like legend, this was a first time watch in prepping for this. Here's the thing, I like it. It's uh, it's not a bad movie. It definitely here's here's one thing I will say about uh, someone to watch over me. Um, it uh, it has some some '80s stereotypes that I think are really interesting. And basically, what I mean by that is that Tom Bar- so Tom Berenger in the movie is a is a um, basically a New York detective, and he's married to Lorraine Bracco, and he seems like a great guy. Mimi Rogers witnesses um, a murder of her friend by the one-armed man from The Fugitive, which is just, uh, that's the same actor there. And basically, she's under protection until um, he can be uh, taken to court, essentially. Tom Berenger gets to cheat on his wife with Mimi Rogers and then save the day and then get back together with Lorraine Bracco. So there's some like, eh, is that really how life works? But honestly... After all of these movies, especially like going Alien, Blade Runner, Legend, it's a really nice toned down piece that isn't so... In a way, it reminds me of kind of like the way that Matchstick Men felt like a breath of fresh air for what Ridley Scott could do. Um, This was something that I don't think anybody was necessarily expecting in terms of his filmography. It's a... It's kind of a thriller, but it's also about this guy and his marriage and his family and and, and what is he going to do? I... I, I, without giving you an exact number, it's pretty much kind of right in the middle of the of my ranking of all of his films. But I don't not recommend it. 
if you have some time, check it out. I think Tom Berenger is actually really good in it, actually, to be totally honest. Yeah, this was one that when I was going through it and trying to just isolate the ones that I wanted to try to track down and see, this is one that I highlighted because first of all, I love I love Tom Berenger. But, you know, I, he's he's a guy whose who's baseball cards I'll collect a little bit. You know, like, uh, I like I dig him in I dig him in in platoon. I dig him in major league. He's he's uh, fun to watch on screen for me. L- Lorraine Bracco, same deal. You know, a big Sopranos fan and 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 whatnot. So the, and and the premise seemed cool. So this was one that kind of stuck out of what I wanted to highlight. So it's one of maybe I'll, I'll check out in the in the near future. Moving on. 1989, Black Rain. Uh, I've lost track. I'm just, uh, Mike, is Black Rain in no. your top five? <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. Kieran? I have not seen it. Uh, yeah, it is not in my top five. It is, um, I would call, I would say it's in the bottom third. Uh, mm. It's, um, here's the thing. So one of the sole credited producers on this is Michael Douglas. He's the star of the movie. It, this is actually one of those, you know, how I mentioned earlier where Ian said something about um, Tony and Ridley changing scripts. Um, this feels like a Tony Scott movie that Ridley Scott directed. Um, I will say it's got a, um, a very, uh, a very charming Andy Garcia in it. Funnily enough, the plot for this movie was supposed to be the plot for Beverly Hills Cop 2 directed by Tony Scott. So there's that. Wow. I, I don't recommend this movie. Would it have been better if it was Beverly Hill Cops 2's plot? Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, outside of the first Beverly Hills Cop, they I've, I, I don't think I've brought myself to even see the third one, and I don't remember the second one, so that's where we're at there. I honestly All don't right. want to give I don't want to give Black Rain any more any more time than, uh-huh. I, than I just did. Um, nineteen ninety one, Thelma and Louise, Kieran, does this make your top five? Thelma and Louise makes my top five. Perfect. Then we're going to move on to 1992. 1492, Conquest of Paradise. Mike, does this make your top five? No, have not seen it. Kieran. I saw this and saw everything going into it and a little bit about the story about it. And I said, you know what? I got to watch this. And then I found out that Adam was going to watch it. And I said, that's better. Let's let Adam watch it. And I'll just listen to him talk about it. So, so I, I, I went that route. So no, I have not seen it. So I, I, you know, I'm definitely trying to be spoiler free with our top fives. Um, and that's why I'm kind of, kind of doing this new way of going about how we do things. Uh, no spoilers here. This is absolutely number 27. This is the worst film that Ridley Scott has made. Um, and it's, it, and there's a whole lot to do with the fact that this was rushed because uh, there was another Columbus film being made because because 1992 and the 500th anniversary of Columbus's discovery was like the fucking thing that we all wanted to see and talk about. Um, this movie is so it, it, you can and you can almost feel the hastily edited nature of this movie. Um, and I got to say, a Frenchman playing Columbus and Sigourney Weaver playing the Queen of Spain are two of the most ridiculous casting choices I have ever seen. And bear in mind, we also haven't talked about Exodus Gods and Kings yet. So that just, like, this is a bad, bad casting. Is the guy at Columbus the guy who played Cyrano? 
That is correct. Gerard Depardieu. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and an evangelist score, as we mentioned before, too. So to, to make it even more over the top. How's that? Is that at least entertaining? Uh, you know, here's um, wait, and I have I have this information. Hold on. Um, so here's the thing: we could do this on below freezing. Ooh, ooh, but no. <laughs> I I'm not this. It's too long, and I'm like, there are very 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 few movies that I I like regret having seen. Right, and I've seen the first two Human Centipede movies. This ooh. is one that like. I want my time back. I want it back. <laughs> it's, it is so, it's just, it's, it's not good. It's just not a well, good movie. And on Below Freezing, you recently covered The Saint. And I was amening at <laughs> home listening to you saying, I am mad that I watched that. I want that time back. And I went and found the person who recommended the movie to me and wanted it. And I wanted an explanation. And they denied recommending it to me. That's how, that's that's my relationship with the Saint. So if 1492 is its Saint status there, uh, and probably tack on an hour or two, it seems like, right? Yeah, yes. I will say that that was for, it was for Rewind, which is a, a little more out of my control. Oh, Rewind. Yeah, okay. okay. But, yeah. but probably could have could have qualified for Love Freezing, I'm uh, it, sure, right? it did. It would have, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, good. We're going to move past that. Uh, movie kind of mentioned, I think, off mic, but maybe on mic. White Squall, 1996. Kieran, does this make your top five? Not in my top five. Saw it as a kid. Uh, I was uh, around the uh, the sailing world, so it was one I think we you know maybe watched it at summer camp when it rained or something, um, and had fond memories of it. But don't really remember too much other than you know other than the, the basics of it. It's kind of like a, like perfect storm, light, right? Yeah, I, I have another way to phrase that movie in a second. Um, Mike, does go, it make go your- for it now because I haven't seen it. So uh, I, I when we did our Gladiator episode, when we were doing our decade by decade uh, celebration of film, I watched a lot of Russell Crowe. I watched a lot of Ridley Scott. Um, this was one of them that I'd watched. Um, uh, I didn't think of this, but Ian said it's just it's Dead Poet Society on a boat. That is this movie. Um, uh, the, my one quote thing that I wrote down was just Jeff Bridges cannot save this movie and he's trying jeff bridges is doing his mm-hmm. jeff bridges thing he's he's fun to watch but it is not a good movie however i would like i want to this is i'm something i'm going to read okay on the same day that production on his film hot zone was canceled ridley scott was given a copy of this film script 90 minutes later he announced that he would direct it so this is where I go, what's the hot zone? Let me tell you what the hot zone is. The hot zone, a terrifying true story, is a best-selling 1994 nonfiction thriller about the origins and incidents involving viral hemorrhagic fevers. Directors considered for this movie were Wolfgang Peterson, Michael Mann, and Ridley Scott, who was attached to direct this in 1994. Guess who was attached to be in this movie? Robert Redford and Jodie Foster. Um, uh, Foster dropped out at one point with talks of being replaced by Meryl Streep when they couldn't get that Robert Redford dropped the film and then after that it was announced that it was going to be shut down but a movie and also part of it too is that Outbreak would come out around the same time Um, I gotta tell you I would so much rather watch The Hot Zone than whatever the fuck White Squall is because 
I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. Yeah. Well, you mentioned his dad was a sailor. So maybe he had a, that was one of the reasons he picked this one up. That's, there's probably something there. And, exactly. and, and that is in the research. Part of it was like this idea of, of wanting to do something about the sea. And there's, there's, there's some similar themes with other movies too, about wanting to kind of connections to family and personal passions of his. Yeah. And I gotta say, you know, what a fun filmography he has. Like yeah. this is, I mean, cause there, is there any one more perfect to do this? I mean, his movies are all over the map. I mean, it's, you have period pieces, you have war movies, you have sailing movies, you have, Tom Cruise is a goblin. You know, there's all sorts of stuff going on. It's 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 fun stuff. His listen, his highs were highs and his lows were low. But but damn it, he he did what he wanted to do. He um, went for it. Moving on now to 1997, a film that will be covered very shortly on Rewind 2552, and that is GI Jane. Uh Again, I'm I'm conf- I'm lost here. Uh, we'll start with Mike. Mike, does this make your top five? Does not. I haven't seen it. Kieran does not make my top five, but was a first watch for this podcast. Um, same here. I I would like to start with one thing. I think this movie gets panned, and I don't understand why. Demi Moore. I do. Demi Moore won the Razzie for Worst Actress, and I think that that is a fucking travesty, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I I can tell you why this movie gets panned. Let's hear it. The name. It's a clownish. It's a clownish name, and it's it's the name makes the movie a caricature of itself. If if the movie had a more creative name and something that wasn't like a play on on a, a cartoon then it might be taken slightly more seriously. And it, it's just not. And I was, I didn't hate this movie. I really didn't. Um, it, it, it's not good, but it, it, it is more, it's, it deserves to be taken more seriously than it's taken. And I think Demi Moore is pretty good in it. Is pretty good in it. And, and she's, you know, she's pretty stunning on screen. That's the other thing. I think when people think of G.I. Jane, they think that you're going to get some kind of like, uh, you know, some like, just like macho soldier kind of no this there's there's a nuanced sexy performance there from from Demi Moore and uh, I didn't I did not hate this movie I did not hate this movie no this is when I when I tell you my rankings later you might be surprised how how high it is um I loved every scene with her and Vigo I thought they worked really well on screen together um I read something in the trivia that um all of the cast underwent like Navy SEAL esque training. But Vigo didn't do it with them. He did it. He did it kind of a separate thing on his own. And the cast was pissed. And he was like, and then later on, he was like, yep, that is exactly what I was going for. So like, it just kind of like, I, I always love seeing Vigo on screen. I thought he was, I thought he was fun in this. The ending's a little schlocky. Yeah. But I, I, it was not an unenjoyable watch for me. I, I, I agree there. Moving on 2000 gladiator. Who wants to take, who wants to take ownership of this being in their top five? Based on my intro here at the start of this podcast, it would not be a surpri- surprise to anyone to say, yes, Gladiator is in my top five. All right. Then let's move on. Uh, one year later, 2001, he has two films this year. Um, let's start with Hannibal. Mike, is Hannibal in your top five? It is not. Kieran? Good God, no. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. Uh, it is. It is also not in my top five. Um, 
I mean, I don't know what else to say other than just the fact that like, I, I think there are some stylistic choices that are that are interesting, and I think Ridley being a person to direct the sequel is not a bad choice. But like, come on, Jodie Foster's not in this movie. What do you want, what do you want me to say? Yeah, and you know what? I'm kind of happy she's not. To be honest with you. Oh, interesting. Because I don't think she would have saved it. This is this movie is, is a Thomas Harris problem. You know, who's a writer yeah. and he wrote this. I believe he wrote this after Silence of Lambs was a hit already, if I'm not mistaken. And it just, it's trying hard. And it's almost like I'm happy that Julianne Moore just hopped in and, and threw the flag on this and, and did what she did. We get to see, we get to see Hannibal Lecter because uh, obviously weren't going to, I don't think they would do that, you know, without Sir Anthony Hopkins, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's just, it's a mess. It's Ray Liotta, no it's it's tough it's a tough one and uh, uh, nothing wrong with ridley scott here there's no i don't blame him for what's going on the choice makes sense the the execution from a direct directorial standpoint is is fine but this this was this was kind of destined to to be a flop in my opinion mike what about you what do you think i I extremely dislike (laughs) um I kind of, so the first thing, I, I don't know. I think I do want to take Ridley Scott to task a little bit for this, though I cool. do agree with yeah. you, Kieran, that like this is very much a Thomas Harris problem because the story in general is bananas. But I, I think Ridley Scott is a guy who has looked at bad scripts that were disjointed and said like, this is not working. I got to shape the vision here. Um, it's, it's just like two halves of a movie. There's this subplot of like, Hannibal's on the loose, which you could say is like the first problem with the movie. The, the whole thing in Silence of the Lambs is that Hannibal Lecter is the serial killer that's calm and collected and confined, and that's what makes him scary. And so the idea of him being out there is not as interesting, especially the way it's shown in Hannibal, where he's just kind of like doing a museum curatorship. It's not like he's exacting this reign of terror or anything. Like they're blaming other serial killers in Italy for murders that are happening. It's not even him. But then, you know, it has to segue in the second half of this awkward thing. He's obsessed with Clarice and he's actually in love with her. And I'm like, one of those is the movie. Like, you can't have both. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think on it's an interesting choice. There's a lot of things about this on paper that really interest me. To get Ridley Scott to be like, he knows how to do a horror movie. He can do, he's, he's made a great horror movie about psychosexual undercurrents. Like, let's get him for it. Great. But I, I just don't think it's a good story. It fascinates me that the screenplay on this is, I mean, I know it's two different scripts, but it's David Mamet and Steve Valian wrote the scripts for Hannibal <laughs> and Ridley Scott directs it. It's just like, it's very fascinating to me, but it's a, it's a garbage movie. And it's, it made me question for a while, like, do I really like these characters? I thought I did because of how much I love Silence of the Lambs and because of how much I like even Manhunter. I like Brian Cox's Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal made me question like do I really like these characters or did Jonathan Demi and Michael Mann just do an excellent job directing and Ridley Scott really shit the bed Mike when you your first sentence when you said I really dislike this movie I just had a visceral reaction like oh I I do too I really dislike this movie I do that is a great way to just put it I dislike this movie I, I I really do the Gary Oldman stuff is unwatchable it's 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 tough this is a tough one I, I want to talk about it, but it's actually going to come up very naturally later, so I'll save it. Um, 
yeah, I, I miss Jodie Foster too. I, I cannot but wonder if her involvement would have helped it because she left because it wasn't her character. And I agree that Julianne Moore, it's hard to see her as, as Clarice, not because it's a different actress, but because it's like, this is not the FBI agent that took down Buffalo Bill. Like, Agreed. Well, and there's there's so much research about how hard uh, Jodie Foster campaigned to get Clarice that the fact that it didn't work out this way where she could do it for Hannibal. I mean, it's a letdown for anybody who enjoyed Signs of the Lambs, but also just like from her point of view, she had created that character. She worked so hard to yeah. craft it. And I mean she did a fucking hell of a job at Sansa the Lamb. So yeah, I it's, there's, there's, it's, it's, it's a big letdown. It absolutely uh, is, is a big letdown. Um, Do, don't you guys think it would have hurt more though? If Jodie Foster was in this, would, wouldn't, wouldn't the entity of Hannibal, even if she, let's say she saved it by five to 10 to 15%, wouldn't it still leave a bad taste in your mouth with the legacy of Sansa the Lambs? Sure. If she was in it? I kind of like that. She's not in it. Well, and I guess that's kind of the thing about the whole movie is like, I, I think you're right. I think the movie would be better with her in it because she could have made those creative choices to make things make a little more sense, but it's still, it would pale in comparison. And so it's kind of one of those things like, well, let's just, it would be better if it never existed. And we just, makes had, it easier. I'm yeah, having makes, a friend for dinner and that's the last time we saw Hannibal Lecter. It makes it easier to dismiss that she's not yeah. in it up. Oh, Judy Foster's not in it. We don't even need to recognize that. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony um, Hopkins isn't even as fun in it. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, you know what is a well-made movie is uh, also in two thousand and one. Uh, Black Hawk Down. You know, I'll just go ahead. I want to start one and say Black Hawk Down is in my top five. Cool. Going to put it out there. Um, moving on to two thousand and three, Matchstick Men. Kieran, does that make your top five? You guys are gonna kill me. Uh, I did not see, did not get to see Matchstick Men. Sorry about that. I know all you cage lovers out there. Nobody's nobody's gonna kill you, um, <laughs> Mike. Does does Matchstick Men make your top five? It does. Interesting. All right, Ooh. there we go. Um, moving on to two thousand and five, Kingdom of Heaven. Mike, does that make your top five? No, just barely missed. Uh, Kieran, what about you? Does not make my top five. No. Uh, were you able to to watch that one? I was able to watch it. I was not able to watch the director's cut. However, I know Ooh, Ian ins insisted on yeah. that, and I I wish that I would have listened to him um, uh, based on some some of my polling. You know. So <laughs> so I know we talked a little bit about uh, we made a little joke about the director's cut stuff here, but but you're, and you're absolutely right. You give Ian five minutes of your time, and he would tell you to watch the director's cut of kingdom of heaven. Now it is now I, to me was like watching a different movie because I definitely barely remembered the first time I watched it, but this was a different movie. And we talked a little bit about <laughs> David lean earlier. This is an epic movie. If you watch the director's cut, there's an overture, there's an intermission Ooh. and an entract. There is, it is a, a lengthy thing. Now it's a, excuse me. It is a time commitment. And I definitely watched this over two nights because it's very, very long. But I got to say that it's, it's, it's a really, here's what I'll say. It is the most I've ever liked Orlando Bloom in a movie. And it's the, it's the most I've ever disliked Brendan Gleeson in one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brendan, hold on. I gotta, I gotta get this right because if I don't get it right, I'm gonna kick myself. Hold on. Brendan Gleeson. Are you getting his name? Yes, I am. Because he, he screams at 40 times. He, he in that does. One scene <laughs> Brendan Gleeson plays Reynald de Chatillon. Mm. Uh, he, I don't know what he is doing. And also the guy who plays Guy, um, they're not, they're not great. They, the bad guy from Triple X in a Ridley <laughs> Scott movie. That was, uh, I, I, spent I, I have to be like, I know this guy. Where is he from? And that's where I, <laughs> I have to put it out there that I'm incapable of disliking Brendan Gleeson, even, even in, oh, yeah. in this. So yeah, he's, he's, he's aces for me. Oh man. I, okay. I, I, I don't disagree with that, but if we were doing like a Brendan Gleeson ranking, this is whatever the <laughs> bottom of that is. So June, Ridley, that one. <laughs> um, but I, I, I gotta say, I, I, I'm, I'm really glad that I, I, I adhered to Ian's advice and watched the director's cut. This easily jumped like ten spots from watching the director's cut. Um, and it's. It's way, it's much deeper than I remember this movie being if you watch the director's cut. Yeah, I, so I can't speak to cut differences because this is a first time watch for me, but I haven't talked about this yet. This show is a big opportunity for me to fill in a lot of blind spots because I, 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 I like Ridley Scott. I'm not a huge fan, but I have so many blind spots and I've been embarrassed about a lot of them. So when you add a message and invited me and Kieran on, I that night got a list together. I'm like, okay, what do I have to see? And then I tiered it by like, what do I have to hit first? So if I only watch one movie in the month leading up to recording, what am I doing? And it was Kingdom of Heaven, the director's cut. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. So I can't speak to how superior the cut is, but it floored me how much I enjoyed it. I kind of felt like it was going to be one that the hype had been built up to to crap on legend a little bit more, to talk about a story about um, you know the young hero on an epic quest that's done aces in kingdom of heaven. I love it. I love the idea of Orlando Bloom is a man tortured by guilt. You know, his, his wife has taken her life. They're plagued with trauma and the idea about him going on this quest to seek absolution. I think some of those ideas are bungled a little and maybe they're not. Maybe I just need to like rewatch it to see like how finally woven the craft is. There's a lot about like redemption of sin and stuff that the crusades were about that. I think the movie kind of drops halfway through, but it was not like the, just like awesome, awesome sandal and swords epic. I kind of thought it would be. I found it, like you said, to be a lot more dense, to be fairly enjoyable. I didn't expect to buy Orlando Bloom as a French blacksmith um, who becomes the golden boy of Jerusalem, but I, I bought it. I liked it. Uh, one, again, a little, a little piece of insider baseball. And this is maybe the most uh, like nostalgic or, or personal thing about Ian um, that I get, I might get to share on the pod because uh, neither of you got to meet him in person, and so you might not know this. But and I forget what I forget what arm it was, but on one of his inner uh, inner forearms, he had uh, Rise and Night tattooed on his arm. Uh, this movie, uh, if we were doing this with Ian, I, I think this would be in his um, his top five. Yeah, so it's just I'm gonna have to go back and watch the director's cut then because uh, I watched the theatrical cut with commercials and it was just not a great experience for me. Uh, you know, Tubi has the commercials and it, you know, it, it, uh, listen, I just had a little trouble connecting with it. It, it bounces around. And I think that seems to be like a common complaint of the theatrical version is that they pull, 
they pull out too much to push the story along, along that all of a sudden, you know, uh, Liam Neeson's not in the picture anymore. It's, it, it just, it kind of moves a little quick and I had a little hard time getting emotionally invested in it. I do think Orlando Bloom does a fine job and he's not a very good actor as, as, as is. Uh, I'm a big Troy fan, though. I'll fight the Troy, the Troy war any day. <laughs> that, I told I told everyone at Best Picture guys, I'll do it. I'll do a solo Troy episode. I don't care. I'll uh, talk and, Troy with and, you. I <laughs> like it. it um, <laughs> um, Adam, by the way, you did a solo podcast, but the major tip of the cap there with that. That's very commendable test. <laughs> we, we're, I'm just gonna brush by that. I, I, I can't believe I did that. Um, uh, yes. Okay, Kingdom of Heaven. Moving on, <laughs> two thousand and six, because because guys, we we're we're into this thing. We I, we still got a lot of movies to get through. Um, so bear yeah. with me. A good year, two thousand and six. Uh, Mike, does it make your top five? Haven't seen it. Kieran, about, ha- about watched half. Watched it today. What? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> watched it today for the for the most part. Um, it did not it did not make my top five. Sadly, uh, didn't make mine. Uh. If you want to hear my thoughts on this, there's a great Below Freezing episode on it. But I will say this. After having watched the remainder of Ridley Scott's filmography, it is not as low as you might think it is. All right. Cool. Uh, so moving on to 2000. 2000- Ian oh, liked that one, didn't he? He does. He, I think he, I remember him actually playing. That's why, that's why we did it. <laughs> that's why we did it on Below Freezing, uh, was to just rib him a little bit. Awesome. Um, 2007. American Gangster. Kieran, does this make your top five? I didn't see it, sadly. This is like, this is probably like the probably maybe the biggest one that any of us hadn't seen is probably this, I, w- I would wager to say. But yeah, I have, have, have not seen it. I did get a first time watch in, but it does not make my top five. Um, it, it also does not make my top five. Um, but a very enjoyable movie. Mike, Mike, what do you think about yeah. this movie? Yeah, I really liked it. And I, before I go into it, I'd like to throw out um, that I had thrown out a Twitter poll to ask, do I need to watch the director's cut or theatrical cut um, of American Gagster? Because Twitter doesn't give you an edit button. God damn it. Um, so uh, I, apparently I was asking if I need to watch the director's cut of a porno. Uh, but I circled my way around. <laughs> And then accidentally ordered the director's cut anyways, because I'm a freaking idiot and don't do things before I put my credit card information in. Anyways, um, I yeah, I liked American Gangster. I, I think it was very serviceable, which is maybe too harsh a word. I haven't lived with it for super long. I, I was reminded of that line Nicolas Cage has an adaptation where Donald is pitching him the script for like the cop thriller he's writing and Charlie is getting upset about like you're talking about this thing of like cop and criminal are two sides of the same coin. For example, see every other cop movie ever made. And that was all I was thinking of American Gangster. It was like, that's, that's this story. But I'm like, yeah, but it's Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm totally there for it. It's well handled. It's really well acted. Um, I, was, I was in for it. I Again, I this is two nights ago. I've just been cramming movies trying to get in. So I haven't had a lot of time to dwell on it. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was super good. And one of the other ones that I was like, I've gone way too long without having seen American Gangster. I want I want some context around the scene I've seen Idris Elba just getting shot in the head on the street. And now I have it. I, and I, that was the thing I was going to say too, is is it 
it's it's not like any other sort of crime gangster movie that you've seen, but I think part of it, it's it's not just Ridley Scott directed, but the cast on this thing. Denzel, Russell Crowe, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Josh Brolin, Ted Levine, John Hawks, Riza, Ruby D, who gets nominated, um, Carla Gugina, John Ortiz, Cuba Gooding Jr., Joe Morton, Idris Elba, Common, one of my favorite like character actors, Kevin Corrigan is in this thing, Norman Reedus of Walking Dead fame. This movie is just stacked across the board. It's got so much style. It, it's not. It, it's it's in my top ten. I, I'll say that. Um, it's. It's a re- it's a really solid movie, and Kieran, yeah. I think it's I think you would like it if you it, when you give it a moment yeah. to, to watch it. My friends love it. My friends love it. I don't know how I missed it because when it was when it was out coming to like the the cable channels and stuff, I remember them all. They all loved it, so I just it just missed my way up. It's one I plan on checking out. Yeah. To to throw a little fuel on that fire, Kieran, I know with Best Picture cast, you guys did phenomenal shows on the first two Godfather movies that I know you're a big fan of. American Gangster is a great triple feature with Godfather because it's the same ideas. It's the same ostracized community, family values. You know, how how do you support that and live the American dream in a less than legitimate way? And how do you make sure that you keep those core values intact while you are doing something that is highly dangerous and and unethical? Um, That was really good. And Ruby Deed. Yeah, Ruby Deed has talked about that, Adam. I spent most of the movie being like, why is she getting nominated for this? Like, it's just because she's Ruby Dee and Ruby Dee's awesome. But then we got that scene after the the doghouse thing, and she pulls Denzel Washington back, and I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah, that that's her scene. That's her scene. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. Okay. Uh, oh, what do we got here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I think ten movies left. We'll see how this goes. Um, 2008, Body of Lies. Kieran, does it make your top five? Didn't see it on Netflix too. It was right there. It was it oh, was for real? like I uh, almost cl- yeah, I almost clicked it a couple <laughs> of times and went went another way. But yeah, no, and and Leo Russell Crowe, no, I mean, yeah, that, that I I wanted to see it in the worst way, but wasn't able to. I I think it's the I'm not, I'm not gonna say that one because I'm do do it. I'm gonna William Forsyth it again. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mike, um, no, I haven't seen this. Tr- would love to at the time it makes a friend's top five list but uh, missed out um this this was much higher pre pre-watch i and i i did not plan on re-watching this and then i, I like here when i saw it on netflix and i was like you know what i can stay up and watch this again it's it it, it black hawk down gets a lot of uh a lot of flack for sort of the way it handles the situation in the middle east in a different time i think that this movie handles it the Middle East situation in a different time, even worse. Um, it's, Ooh. it is not the, it's, it's low on the Russell Crowe list. It's low on the Leo list. Mark strong, who I normally love in anything is playing somebody of Middle Eastern descent. It doesn't work. Um, it's, it's not a, it's not a poorly made film. It's just, I think a, uh, a poorly intentioned film that has not aged well since 2008. Oh wow! His screenwriter of uh, The Departed, William Monaghan. William Monaghan too. Yep. So yeah, so Ooh. that was another reason I was like ready to, ready yeah. to jump on it. But who, oh, well. who also wrote Kingdom of Heaven, right? Yeah. One. Yep. I was like, one yeah. of one of the only uh, people to come back and work with Ridley on a screenplay. William oh. Monaghan. Yep. Wow. Um, I'll I'll leave it at that because we have so many movies to still get to. Um, 2010, Robin Hood. Kieran, does it make your top five? As a lover of Robin Hood, one of my favorite Disney animated movies, 
Uh, it doesn't make my top five. And sadly, it is a gap for me because, uh, man, you know, Russell Crowe and and uh, and Robin Hood is Jennifer Connelly in this this one, too. Kate Blanchett. Man, I'm striking out today. So. <laughs> I think I'm thinking, of Noah. I'm thinking of Noah. <laughs> uh, uh, Mike, does it make your top five? No, I haven't seen it. I uh, I don't know. It just never sounds fun. <laughs> it's not high on my watch list. Don't. Yeah, I'll get Kevin. I'll take Kevin Costner. Yeah, it's it's just um, it's it's funny. And I did some research on this, and it was it was planned because basically the movie takes place before uh, Robin Russell Crowe has basically been sort of like outlawed. Right? It's all it's all precursor stuff to when he's officially kind of outlawed from from um by by the by King John. Is that right, John? Prince John. Prince John. Well, when he becomes the king in, in the movie. Um, so, like, it, it's not really about the, the, you know, stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. It's all building to that. And I, unfortunately, watched the director's cut prepping for this, um, which is honestly just not, it's not, it's not good. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend this movie. Boy, that just sounds so Ridley Scott. You know, <laughs> we're, we're going to build up into the stealing the rich for the poor. <laughs> yeah. Let's not make it about the thing anybody wants to see. Well, <laughs> the, sticking with that theme of war, of continuing a story, we're now to 2012 uh, and Prometheus. Mike, does Prometheus make your top five? It don't. Kieran? It does not. And this is a gap for me because Ooh. today I was I had it slated to watch today. I was I listened to your uh, your episode on on Alien Adam that we did with Ian and he got me fired up to watch it because of his uh, his Lawrence of Arabia illusions and and all that so I'm like oh I'm so in on this and I had done the rewatch of Alien this week and all that and I got home today and was just so beaten I'm like eh, you know what I feel like watching a good year instead <laughs> so I did that <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, so. Oh man! That the rough, rough choice. Sorry. Rough choice. Um, Mike, you know, I wanted something light, and I got it. So that that's uh, it's okay. It, I, it, I wasn't ready for spaceships and and androids and all such. Mike, had you have you seen Prometheus? Yeah, and the, uh, it's funny you should talk when we were talking way back when we started about your your gateway. I mean, not my first Ridley Scott movie, but maybe the first one I was amped for because at that point I, I'm in film school and I'm stoked and I love Alien at that point. And to, and to see Ridley Scott's coming back and he's being very coy, but it's very obvious it's an alien prequel because the trailer is using like that ping noise and all that. I was stoked. I went opening nights. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I hated it. I, I liked it. And I, I still like Prometheus okay. I never much bought into a lot of the overpraise it got where it was being compared to 2001 saying like it's oh. the first science fiction movie asking big questions and the age of the Avengers. And I'm like, yeah, but does it, it still kind of feels more like a haunted house movie in space. And that's kind of what I've appreciated it for. It's a bunch of people who ostensibly should be smart, making moronic decisions. But I like, I, I, I definitely agree that it, it, it does. It's a, it is kind of a haunted house movie. I, I definitely felt the tension. I mean, I, 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 I'm going to be real. I really like this movie. I, it doesn't make my top five. Um, mm. again, another stacked cast. Yeah. And, um, this was an off mic thing because uh, as of the alien recording, I hadn't seen Prometheus or alien Covenant. Oh and yeah. Mike and I are uh, uh, Mike. Uh, Ian and I got together and um, 
after I'd watched it and he was like, what'd you think? And I go, I really liked it. And I go, one of the best scenes in a Ridley Scott film, one of the most tense things is when Numi Rapace goes into the machine where she has to get the alien taken out of her. Oh my God. I was like, my, my, I was like clenched fist. Like, Oh shit. Mm -hmm. I, Oh man, that was, I'm, I, I'm going to play my cards a little bit here. Unlike alien covenant, um, this one, I, it's such a, I think it's such a great prequel for Alien. I think it's, I, I really, really like this movie. Yeah. I think my ill will is too strong a word for it, but the neg- more negative feelings I have for it is I, I don't want an Alien prequel. Um, I, I, like Karen, I was listening to your Alien podcast the other night, Walking the Dog, and Ian talked a lot about like how stoked he was at that prospect of going back to explain the space jockey. And I've always felt like, no, the cool thing is like in that scene in Alien, you're like, what the hell is that? And you never Ooh. find out. And now here's Prometheus saying like, well, it's this and we're going to take, you know, we're going to play in six movies to tell you exactly what it is. And I'm, I'm not there for it. I don't need the Alien prequel. I don't need to see how we fit into it. Like Alien, we'll talk about Alien while I, guess I won't get into it. But um, and, and well said, well said, here, totally, totally agree. Yeah. But saying nothing new here, Fassbender's great in it. Yeah. One of the last really good things he did. Again, what a great segue into 2013 and the counselor. Mike, does the counselor make your top five? No, and it pains me to say I have not seen the movie where someone has sex with a car. Yes, yes. Kieran, what about you? Real like zip past that fastbender shade there. Um, I have, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't 12 Years a Slave and... Um, and Steve Jobs saw it after that? Okay. I, uh, I guess for another podcast. I, I, no, no, no. I spaced that. I love him and Steve Jobs. Don't get me wrong. Okay. All right. Um, I, I have not seen this, the, the movie now. This movie is terrible. <laughs> and hang on real quick. I don't know if this was just a press tour thing, but didn't Ridley Scott say he considered it at the time, at least like his best work? There, there are, there are um, a group of people who think that it's like kind of it's like deep, and kind of a, a attempting to broach some really interesting subjects. Um, it, it, it is not. It, it, there is, there is almost no plot to this movie, and I, I'm not saying that to be facetious. It's there's really nothing going on. Um, uh, it, it's, it is, it's a very talented. And here, I don't know. How, it's a very talented and beautiful cast. Cormac McCarthy screenplay Ridley Scott nothing nothing it's like we've got we've got Michael Fassbender and Penelope Cruz two great actors two gorgeous human beings and it's like what the fuck are you doing on screen we've got an extended scene between Michael Fassbender and Brad Pitt just talking and normally I'm like this is amazing but it leads to nothing it leads to nothing this is one of the more boring movies I watched for the first time for this pod. Thought I skipped. I don't recommend it. Um, but you haven't seen it. Another another hard first watch, at least from my opinion here, 2014 Exodus Gods and Kings. Kieran, this making your top five? I haven't seen it. Mike? It does not. But I have seen it. Uh, not since it was in theaters, but I did see it there. Um, I was reminded that this came out the same year that Noah came out, so we had a lot of uh, big yeah. biblical epics. Funnily mm-hmm. enough, um, 
uh, Russell Crowe was meant to be in Exodus Gods and Kings, but because of the strife that he and Ridley had on the Robin Hood set, didn't come back to work on it. So uh, that's why we got Christian Bale. Um, mm. Christian Bale also first choice to play Noah in that movie. So there's a lot of uh, mm. crisscrossing there. Um, and with Noah, there's your Russell Crowe, Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. Reunion. There it is. So. There it is. Um, I, I, Mike, I have to imagine you don't recommend this movie. I uh, so it's it's low on my list. <laughs> I I don't know that I'd say I recommend it. I don't hate it. And again, take this. This is ten years ago. So the the biblical epic. There's I don't think there's like a movie in the genre I love, but I like the concept of it. I think like epic Bible stories are kind of rife for big filmmaking. And my stumbling block to enjoying those is that I hate Charlton Heston with a passion that can't be quantified. So this, this, you know, I think like when I hear this pitch and it's like Ridley Scott's going to do the Exodus story, I'm like, yeah, that sounds freaking awesome. And um, it's not awesome, but I, I was watching a couple clips of things to try to like refresh my memory and see where I would place it. It's low, but I'm not going to say like piece of shit, don't waste your time, because I kind of like the, the Bible epic. I like a lot of the stories around Moses. I think it's, it makes really interesting movies and this is not the best movie about that story, but it's not that any of us have two and a half hours to kill, but if you do, you could do worse. See, for me, it's, you can it's watch 1942 or 1842, whatever the freaking curse for Columbus. 14. <laughs> I, I believe it's Colum Columbus sailed the ocean blue in, in the year of 1492. It um, it's funny though, because like, I feel like Exodus tried to be the sword and sandal movie that, gladiator was and all yes. and also the biblical epic that kingdom of heaven was and failed it both right which is why right. it was like oh man that was just a big a big misfire in my book Here, here's here's my positive pitch this is the one thing i remember i like this concept that the old testament judeo-christian god appears as like a little kid because a lot of the stuff that happens here kind of tracks like what's what would a seven-year-old like think of to say like i'm gonna get back at these people and it's like Frogs and locusts. You're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Christian Bale sees like a seven-year-old boy when he's when he's talking to God. Cool idea. By the way, Joel Edgerton plays Ramses. I just want to throw that out there. That is the casting Ew. in this. <laughs> That's bad. Okay. All right. Moving moving on. I'm not, not going to back that up. I yeah. That is one of the worst parts of it. 2015, The Martian. Kieran, does it make your top five? The Martian makes my top five. All right, we're going to move on then. Alien Covenant. Mike, does it make your top five? No. Kieran? I have not seen uh, I have not seen it. I mean, if you want to talk about unnecessary alien prequels, this to me is, is a, a very unnecessary alien prequel. The cast isn't as strong. The story isn't nearly as fun. And um, I, I, I didn't really. I, this, this is this is definitely a movie where, like, and and Mike, all all your points about like not wanting to know about the space jockey origin, and like I like I totally get that. But this one, like, goes even further into stuff that like I just don't need to know or care about. I don't need fleshed right. out. And um, yeah, of 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 rewatches. Other than Robin Hood, this was one that was like, oh man, what a what a letdown! Because I, I didn't remember it being that bad the first time. Yeah, 
I remember leaving theaters thinking, I like this way more than Prometheus. And I think that what that was, was it felt like an alien movie? Like the technology was, because the problem with Prometheus is like, isn't this like a thousand or a hundred years before alien, but the text way more, it's the Star Wars prequels thing. But um, I, I'm soft. I like Prometheus more than Covenant. I think for those reasons that it, it just gets so entangled. And I think a lot of the ideas alien Covenant is going is going for are interesting these concepts of creation and creations rebelling against creators and things like that just kind of like why why do you have to make it in the alien franchises it's not could could you not make this like an original science fiction thing because then like you said it just becomes about like well the end game here is how did we get a xenomorph and i want to paraphrase one of my favorite podcast um f this movie they did a review of it when it came out and they this is kind of spoilers for the middle of the room movie can i do that yes please do so the the concept that of alien or um david's process for making the xenomorph would f this movie said that's like if you watch frankenstein and the doctor's plan is to get some other guy to fuck the monster's mom so that he can make <laughs> frankenstein <laughs> It's just moronic. I mean, I, 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 I don't disagree with that. I, I just, I, yeah, I don't. It was just very, very low stakes. Very low stakes to me. I didn't really like Billy Crudup and and what's her name, Catherine Watterson, lose their spouses, and I just was like, oh, okay, but, yeah. And and one of the better honest trailers zingers in the casting for um, I can't remember her name. The, the lead yeah uh Kat, i think it's Catherine watterson I, her character's name yeah her, yeah yeah but uh, they, they credit her as ripley believe us she's not and that's a great <laughs> <laughs> and, and nothing against her i i think the characterization is thin i think that's a script problem i think that cast does what they can but it's um yeah low stakes is a great way to tell it and yeah again and it aggravated me that ridley scott kept oh, I got like four more to complete this arc that leads us to Alien. And I'm just like, well, I don't want it in the first place. And second of all, like, no, why Why do we need six movies for this? Yeah, that's fair. Um, and it looks like it's not going to happen, so. Yeah, I, I know. I know. Who knows if that another one's going to come? Um, okay, three left. All the money in the world. Mike, does it make your top five? Haven't seen. Kieran. You know, this is one I really want to see. And I've heard like, it's kind of one of those things where you you've heard you've heard you people tell you don't no don't you're not gonna like it don't see it but I'm like ah oh, but I read the synopsis and I want and I I, I like Christopher Plummer and you know I'm, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna like it so I haven't seen it and I think I'm gonna like it so uh, tell me tell me I'm not gonna like it Adam. no no I, I I think you will like it and I okay. think that's a that's about where it'll land um. It, it, a monumental task. I mean, for anybody who doesn't know, obviously Kevin Spacey originally cast like a month before the planned release. They, they scrap that they get Christopher Plummer who was originally considered to be in the role and they, they reshoot the scenes in a week. Um, other than, I mean, and that's, there's the Kevin Spacey scrutiny of it all. And then there's the whole thing that came out about Michelle Williams getting paid substantially less than Mark Wahlberg for the reshoots. Ultimately, the movie is a fine thriller kind of movie. Um, it's it's Mark Wahlberg not being so Mark Wahlberg. Michelle Williams is just typically wonderful in like everything that she's in. Um, 
but it's hard to not, I mean, it's a fine movie that it's hard to see for other than the, the big sort of things that made the the headlines when it came out. Um, I don't not recommend it, but it's, you, you've seen at least a dozen other movies like all the money in the world. Don't you wish we had that phone conversation recorded of Ridley Scott calling up Christopher Plummer, asking him to be in, in this thing, you know, Chrissy, Chrissy, it's Ridley. We, we got, yes, I got to get Spacey out of here. I, I must have you. Can, can, are you available? I would, I just would love to see how that went down between the two of them. Christopher Plummer just sitting in this big leather chair, you know, waiting for the phone call. At, at, at 88 years old, the oldest acting nominee ever. Amazing. Truly amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's and it's it's worth a it's worth a watch to just sort of like to keep in your mind that Kevin Spacey was in it and they they re-edited this movie around that. I it's it's I think it's worthy of the watch for almost the experiment that this movie is. Um but yeah. sadly it does not make cool. my top five. Two more, both from last year, starting with 2021's The Last Duel. Kieran, does it make your top five? My 2021 movies I haven't seen yet. I got real bitter with The Last Duel because I had I had slated to see it in theaters, was all fired up, uh, was like was like gung-ho about it too because I know Ridley was real bent about people not going to see it in theaters. And I'm like, well, I'm going to get my ticket and go. And I had a conflict on that day. I'm like, ugh, I'll go see it. I'll have to go see it tomorrow. And that ended up being the last day that it was in theaters by me. I would have had to go drive to Brooklyn or the city to go see it. And was so bitter that I haven't gotten to sit down and watch it yet. And House of Gucci, I have no interest in. So, um, so yeah. So by twenty the twenty twenty ones, I'm I'm a gap on. Okay, great. So and so House of Gucci also. So neither of the twenty twenty ones. I haven't seen either of them. No, okay. unfortunately. Mike and I'll jump. I'll jump on that bandwagon for basically similar reasons. Um, Last duel is one I do really really want to see, but the time commitment just make to make it happen before recording in House of Gucci. I don't care enough. Uh. Okay, so um, I'll stick with House of Gucci. It's 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 just it's honestly as bad as you've heard. Um, I have no idea what a lot of the cast is doing. A lot of big swings, right, Kieran? Baseball terms like if they connected, these are fucking out of the park. Uh, but they're all misses. Like they're all yeah, one fifty batting averages left and right. Leto, like Leto, is the like he. Not he like swung and fell on his ass. That's like, <laughs> like that's what happened. Um, last duel, really good. It's really good, and like you'll get other people saying different things. Um, I do feel like it's really kind of going back to sort of that sordid sandal roots of things he's done before. I, I yes, you're gonna hear that it's it's Rashomon in a different time. Who gives a shit? Rashomon's a great movie. Yeah. He's stealing from the yeah, best. You guys. You know how much I love Rashomon. It's it's um it it I it didn't make my top five. Well worthy of your time. It it does make my top ten for for what that's worth. Okay, cool. here's, here's the big question. I haven't seen the Duelist or the Last Duel. If I could only watch one, which one do I watch? Okay, here we go. Given given my ranking, ah, oh, I have the Duelist higher, Got but I, I would actually recommend the Last Duel first. Okay. Cool. And, and there's certain movies where, like, I hear people talking smacker that I just know that I'm gonna like. This just seems like one that I know I'm like. And oh, oh, it's two Rosh. All right, it's Rosh with Adam Driver, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck. I'm in. Come on. It's it it's it's kind of it's 
the Matt Damon Ben Affleck of it all is actually kind of kind of fun because they're at odds with each other in the movie, which is it's it's a fun little like they're oh. not friends. They actually don't like each other in the movie, so that adds a little adds a little flavor to it. And and Matt Damon looking distinctly like Chipper Jones in the movie as a big Braves fan, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in on that too. So <laughs> let's throw that in there. That's if you know if we if we gave you an opportunity to talk about the Braves, there it is. And if you didn't, I found a way in anyway. So. <laughs> um, okay, so gentlemen, we have built the movies that are in our top fives. Um, for the record, I believe if I have this correct, they are Alien, Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Matchstick Men, and The Martian. So, given which the- is a total count of what? Wow. That's those six. Are, those six. Yep, those are six, six. movies making our okay. top fives. So, um. We'll just start this way. Mike, what is your number five? Oh, wait, hold on. We're going to talk about this. We won't talk about the movie until we get to its highest ranking, sticking with a thousand and one by one tradition. So, Perfect. Mike, what is your number five? Um, the only first time watch that has made my top five list. It's Matchstick Man. Kieran, is that in your top five? It is not in my top five. I have not seen Matchstick Man. All right. It is, it is also not in my top five. Um, uh, uh, Mike, just so that you know, so you know where it is, that is my number 11. It's my number okay. 11 of the Scott films. This made your top five. So uh, talk to me about it. Why, what what did it for you? Well, you kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, it's kind of the movie that you don't expect Ridley Scott to make, and he makes it so well. And, and there was something about that that was so appealing to me that it leaped ahead of a lot of other stuff, including Kingdom of Heaven, which I really liked. The Kingdom of Heaven was the sword and sandal epic and, you know, the, the religious iconography and the stuff I expect Ridley Scott to do well. And uh, I am also a sucker for heist movies and, and con movies. I love to watch people grift. So I'm, I'm very taken. This is a different kind of world building for Ridley Scott. It's not a, a fantasy science fiction world. It's it's just really entertaining to watch Nicolas Cage run the scams, whether it's the, the one he and Sam Rockwell run on the old couple in the beginning or the lottery ticket thing. He's teaching his daughter like that stuff is very entertaining to me. There's good tension there with, you know, the as he says, like the job will always go wrong and you have to adapt. But I also just felt like it was a good character study like it's all about Nicolas Cage it's about his neuroses and his connection to people and I it's gonna be a weird thing to say because I'm about to talk about five movies that I think I'll have great characters and great acting in them but I don't think of Ridley Scott as a great character director I don't think of you know all-time great performances when I think of his movies it's about production design and stuff and I don't know that I'm gonna say you know Nicolas Cage's performance here is like oh it's the best out of his entire of Ridley Scott's filmography but I thought he did a slam dunk job he didn't go too over the top with it for a character that definitely could go that way I thought it was super funny which is also not something I expect a lot of out of a Ridley Scott movie it was a fun time and I kind of went into it expecting I would love it and I just did and kind of that goodwill alone just made me say like I gotta get it on the top five I had a blast yeah, it's I and I agree with you about the con movie. I I love a good con movie, and you know you throw Sam Rockwell in there. Um, yeah, it's and they and they work really well together. And and uh, you know it's not quite like neurotic that the way that Jack Nicholson is in as good as it gets. It's a little mm-hmm. more. It's a little more believable. And and, and exactly, I love the way you phrase it. Like in a movie where we could get full cage, 
we we don't and it works it's it's a restrained cage working within the parameters of that of the character and other than i i have some issues with the end of the movie but that aside i it is a very enjoyable movie but in terms of like directions that could go i think that that even is still well handled because i know what you're saying i I spent the movie saying it can't be going this way it can't how it is but then as it kept going i was like okay and, and kind of last thing I'll say, another thing I don't really expect a lot of out of Ridley Scott movies, heartwarming moments. Last shot got me good. And I, I even like, you know, when he's talking to the shrink about his dilemma of, I have this daughter and I'm in this line of work where it's on me to be dishonest sometimes and to see her doing that. And the doctor's like, well, how do you feel about it? And he takes that beat and he goes like, I loved it. <laughs> I thought that was such a great moment. Yeah, Kieran, it, I it, I would definitely say it is it's definitely worth uh, a watch if you if you find the time. Cool. Uh, but Kieran, I'd love to hear what your number five is. Okay, here we go. Let's get uh, let's get spicy here. My number five is Blade Runner. Blade Runner. That's higher on my list. Okay. My number five is Thelma and Louise. Didn't make mine. Higher Higher on my list. Okay. Circling back. Mike, what is your number four? The Martian. Higher for me. Uh, Mike, the Martian is also my number four. Awesome. Um, I'm sorry. I misspoke, guys. Martian is also my number four. Hey, yes. so we are four. What a four, twist! Four. Um, what a twist! So I don't know why, but I all I, I've seen this movie twice. That's it, and for some reason, that's the first time I watched this movie. I I put it in my head that like this movie's not that good. This movie's not that good. Uh, I I recently had to get the brakes fixed on my car. So I watched, I was like, I need to rewatch this. This is one of those movies where I'm like, I don't remember it very well. I need to rewatch it. So I'm watching this on my phone in the Hyundai dealership by where I live as my brakes are getting fixed on my car. And the moment when Matt Damon hears Jessica Chastain's voice for the first time as they're trying to get, I am crying in the waiting room of the Hyundai dealership where my car is getting fixed. I don't know why I had it in my head that this was not a good movie. This is an excellent movie with a very, very strong performance from Matt Damon. I this movie hits on 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 like every cylinder. Yeah, uh, The Martian is absolutely electric. I mean, it is it's an experience. It's an experience. And one thing that I I I, I really want to note about Ridley Scott is that he he really knows how to begin a movie and he really knows how to end a movie. And I mean that specifically in, in scenes and uh, not necessarily like the ending as far as like the arc and all that, but just the last scene he shows you, he leaves you with, with a moment at the end of, of his movies. And he does. So with some of the movies that we're going to talk about here, moving forward, some of the ones we've talked about already, but that last scene with, with Matt Damon on, on the campus there, uh, and the first scene with the storm, you know, we talked about the duelist, but the first thing with the, he knows how to start. He knows how to end it. The in-betweens are, are what they are. But this movie is truly a journey. It doesn't matter whether you know if Matt Damon's going to make it or not. It really doesn't matter. You're with him and you're in it 
and you're experiencing it. And one thing I got to say about this, which is, which is, which is so crazy to me is there were multiple times through watching this. And this was the first watch for me this week where I caught myself not recognizing the fact that this is a fictional story. Like I'm, I'm watching, I'm like, well, this is probably not how this happened in real life. <laughs> and I'm like, well, wait a minute. Oh, take this didn't happen. This is a fake story. That's how well put together this thing is, is that you're like, oh, this is this is a Hollywood version of something that really happened. Uh, Mike, what about you? I, I got a couple of things. You bear with me here. So, for, so first thing, why this is high on my list, because I'm with you, Adam. I spent a lot of time like Martian can't be that good. Right. I'm, be, I'm just being like a simpleton. The, the experience of watching The Martian is a big one for me because I didn't have a lot of interest in it. Again, two and a half hours. And I, I remember when it came out, I was super busy. I think I was like taking some finals or something, but it was my brother's birthday. He really wanted to go. So we double dated with our wives and we went, and I'm going to the movie theater. Like I got so much crap to do. I don't, whatever. I love my brother. We'll go. And I, I loved it. So I walked out of the theater, like super high. So any movie that will win you over from like that negative of a mindset and you walk out smiling, like you're always going to have good will towards it. Um, for me, why this is here, this is here for a specific reason. I think, I don't think a lot of Ridley Scott is a collaborator. He's definitely an auteur with the vision. And like you said, Adam, he doesn't work, you know, he doesn't have his crew or anything. Like it's, it's his way or the highway and he'll rotate people out. This one to me, I love so much because it does feel like a Ridley Scott movie, but it doesn't. It feels like he really stepped down and played to a lot of his strengths and let other people play to theirs. And I'm specifically talking about one Matt Damon with the performance, which is great, but the writing, he's got two, two writers here. Andy Weir writes the novel, which I haven't read, but I have read um, project Hail Mary, which has a very similar character and situation and structure where it's just this nonstop, like snarky scientist in space up against some impossible situation that's going to kill him. And he works his way through the problems. It's kind of the same story. Um, and then Drew Goddard, who is great with, the humor and the snappy one-liners. He comes in to adapt the screenplay and Ridley Scott lets him shine. And Ridley Scott gets to take care of the visuals. He's confident behind the camera. He's assembling a big cast. To me, this is like the collaborative Ridley Scott movie. It doesn't feel like it's all him. It feels like he's opening it up to the team and it works and it's fun and it's enjoyable. Again, I don't go into a Ridley Scott movie expecting a lot of fun and laughs, particularly this one is a blast, but it hits those moments, that same moment you called out, Adam, where he breaks down, like, first piece of human contact in months. That's a great moment. I just love it. I love every minute of it. I'm, and I'm so glad you mentioned Drew Goddard and the fact that I, like, I, again, I must have looked like a fucking insane person at this car dealership because <laughs> I, I am laughing at points. Because it, I do think it's funny. And, and I like that they surrounded this cast with people like uh, Kristen Wiig and, and um, um, uh, uh, Donald Glover and and and, 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 and she would tell Edgefor. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and 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 everybody's doing their thing, and Matt Damon gets to say a lot of funny stuff, and like I'm 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 like I'm laughing the laughs, and I'm feeling the feels, and this movie, it 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 goes on so many different um journeys, like and like you know when when the uh, uh the room rips open and the potatoes are gone, like you you start oh. thinking like shit, how is he gonna like how now is he gonna do this and. The movie kept me interested, which I think is a real, I mean, for any movie, it's a, it's a real testament to keep you interested in knowing what's going to happen next. Oh, the cast, Sean Bean, uh, Jessica Chastain, we mentioned, love Kate, love Kate Mara, love, love, love Kate Mara. 
it, it's just just so much fun. She was algebra for it. It's just it's just it's a fun cast. It's a fun journey. Um, I love it. I, I do have a question I want to ask you guys though. This, this is something I had to think of while I was watching it and, and doing this. Do you think this would have worked? And we have to play with the time machine a little bit here with Russell Crowe, a young Russell Crowe as the lead. Like we're thinking like the, the year after Beautiful Mind. What, what would this movie, what would this movie look like? No, it, it exists because of that like sarcastic tone. And I'm not saying Russell Crowe's incapable of hitting that, but he can't hit it the same way Matt Damon does. Mm. Es- especially in that time period where, let's be real, Russell Crowe's running a little hot. Yeah, and, yeah. And he, he's cooled down. Um, I think it was 2015, The Nice Guys. That's a great Russell Crowe performance because he actually, like, for the first time in forever, seems like he's having fun on a movie. He lightens set. up a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so Adam, it maybe would have worked then. I don't think, like, 2002 Russell Crowe could pull this off. Adam, what do you think? I, I, I agree. Um, And it's it's a little bit too – that the uh, – there's something about about Matt Damon, and it, it's something that not a lot of like you know quote leading men I think can handle well in movies is that he he plays an everyman well. You know Leo Leo like Leo's not an everyman. Russell Crowe is not an everyman, but Matt Damon. There's something I don't know. I don't know if it's the Boston or just like that. I feel like I feel like Matt Damon still has a chip on his shoulder, and it works well for him in movies because he's got something to work with when he does it. And there's something. Like when, like, I cannot hear Russell Crowe saying the line like, "I'm gonna science the shit out of this." Come like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You fucking liar. But, but don't you want to though? <laughs> I mean, that table read. want and need. I don't know, but um, but no, oh I think God. I think Matt Damon is 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 so he's I. He's pretty it's a wonderful perfect in this. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, agree. It's a wonderful performance. And another thing, kind of last word I'll say on this. It's a very straightforward story and theme, but I love it. The, the idea that you don't give up your human resilience, you work the problem, you find the solution, you don't give up hope. I, I've, I've said this a lot. It, it's the kind of movie you would watch in like high school science class is like the quarters winding down and the teacher's got to get grading done. And, you know, it, it kind of fits. But it's, it's this cool message to be like, hey, science is really cool. Like, look at all these like things you can do with it if you know the formulas for water and oxygen like this could save your life this is a a very cool presentation of these ideas i think it's i think it's awesome i want to shout out jeff daniels too because like i don't like i don't necessarily love this newer version of jeff daniels where he's kind of stuffy and you know uh just you know a little a little nose in the air it seems like these days but he worked as a heel in this and as that kind of like the token authoritarian who just is just gonna naysay. He re- he really were. I by the end of this movie, I'm like, God, Jeff Daniels is crushing it in this movie. Um, I I, lo- I loved him in this. It was it, he needed to be a heel as opposed to like the newsroom babyface look. I liked I liked the, a little better a little better as the bad guy, the the oh. authoritative uh, bad guy. I don't know if there's a dud in the cast. I, and granted, I haven't watched it in a couple years, but I can't think of anybody that I'm like, uh. I got one. And I, don't comic really. means up, I don't mean to upset you, Adam, because you did That's, compliment her, but I don't think Kristen Wiig fits in this one uh, for me. I, I, she's a little miscast. For me. I, I, here's the thing. I actually, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that at all. I, I, it's, it's, it's not that she's quite in a different movie, but she definitely is the most like this, this feels weird, but I, I think what I'd like about it is like, she could have easily not done this movie. And mm. she, and 
what I, I think ultimately why I don't mind it is because she's not trying to make f- stuff that's not funny funny. And and True. she just kind of plays it for what it is. And like that could have that could I mean, I don't I don't have to say this, this is weird. Like it could have been a no name actress just doing a very serviceable mm-hmm. job like uh, the redhead who I recognized from an episode of Black Mirror. Um, and I was like, oh, hey, that's somebody I kind of like. It's like Kristen Wiig is in The Martian. Like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I do like Kristen Wiig. It's not a knock on her. I just it seemed a little out of place for me. But yeah, I, I hear. Sure. Um, so before we get into our top threes, uh, I, have, I have a question for you guys. Um, do you like lists? I love lists. I love lamp. I love it all now. It's been a gradual progress, but I'm all in now on all all the else. Lists, lamps, let's go. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, so uh, I was I was looking for a list, and most lists. I mean, and they they do what we're doing, like a collective Ridley Scott list. And I didn't want to find that. I was trying to find like a like a top ten performances in Ridley Scott films. Couldn't find it. Um, so instead. I went to uh, I went to a source, and uh, I would like to read to you Liz Woodington's top five Ridley Scott films. Yeah, cool. let's do it. Cool, um, love this. This definitely feels like like I, it feels like her list with maybe a little bit of Ian in there, and I, I'll there's definitely a, a one in here that feels like it. But this definitely feels like the almost like the the Woodington's top five when I read this. Cool. Um, so number five. Kingdom of Heaven. Hmm. Number four. And Liz told me to bait, like, shut your filthy mouth is what she said next to number four, which is a good year. Nice. Number three, Thelma and Louise. Number two, Alien. And number one, Blade Runner. Yeah, very cool. So there's, I, I couldn't find like a, a, a very like astute or like peer reviewed list. Um, but I went, I went right to Liz and asked for what her top five was. And she was, she obliged me. And, and so there you have it. Yeah. Well, and we're, you kind of, yeah, you kind of brushed past a, a good year a little bit. And I just want to ask is what, cause you, you've talked to Ian about a good year. I'm sure. I'm sure he listened to your, to your episode on, uh, on a below freezing it was pretty triggered. What were the things that Ian liked about a, a good year? So I think I, I think a good way to talk about it would be the Mike, the way that you kind of felt about matchstick men feeling like a breath of fresh air. This is exactly the way that Ian felt about a good year. And I, I if, if I'm I want I might misquote him a little bit, but he goes, if you want to hear me genuinely belly laugh, put on a good year. Um and I think there's something about the, you know, the the Europe of it all. I think mm. there's something about you know going from England to France or no, it's uh yeah, it's France, right? God, it's been a, yeah. a hot mm-hmm. minute. There we go. Um, I think he I think he appreciated the Russell Crowe performance. I actually think he also really appreciated the um, Albert Finney performance. I think he liked yeah. the comedy. Um, and I think it was just I think for him it was a good like a good time. Like this was the sort of like, um. Like this is bad. Like Netflix and chill, right? Put this movie on, and I'm gonna kick the fuck back and enjoy this movie. Cool, cool, very cool. Yeah, and I see that, and and it's definitely kind of in the 
in the wake of like sideways with like the wine uh people everyone's getting into wine and that's all there and there's there is an ambiance to to it and the scenery to it and it's a vacation movie it seems like the whole cast and the crew are on vacation while they're doing it it's kind of let's let's all just chill well one thing too like and you, you would hear this in the bullet reason episode like i believe that every place they filmed in was like 15 minutes from ridley scott's house in france it was there you go pure, purely specific to that he was like you know what? we're just gonna film right by where i live he was netflix and chilling while directing the movie that's <laughs> it direct and chill um all right so just there we go. That there's our list. There's our token a thousand and one by one list for the episode. Back to Love our it. top fives. Mike, you're number three. What is your number three? Oh, we'll talk about it later. It's gladiator. Ooh. I, I higher. Have, I have that higher. I have that higher. Uh Kieran, what is your number three? My number three is Thelma and Luis. And Mike, you said that didn't make your list, correct? It it barely misses the cut, cut. I've got it at number seven. Okay, great, great. So Mike, you had that at seven. Kieran, you have it at three. I have it at five. Uh, Kieran, let's start with you. You're the high man here. What what speaks to you with Thelma and Louise? Sure. So I watched this for this uh, for this podcast, and I had seen this in high school, you know, a, a while ago. It's one of those, it's been so long since you've seen it that you, you kind of remember scenes, but you don't really remember the experience. And I was probably not uh, not cinema mature enough to really process what, 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 is, what is important about the movie. And I have to say, out of all the movies that I watched for this podcast, this was probably my favorite experience. Uh, the performances from Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis are just, just mint. Like we are talking top of the line, best actress performances. Uh, um, the road trip cinematography is a masterclass. It is, it is everything that a movie trying to put a, a road trip uh, journey across America together should go and watch. It, it, it is it it lays the blueprint and uh, the guidelines for how you should do it. Um, this is a this is a personal thing was that it, I'm sure so many people watch this movie and roll their eyes at the music and call it dated and call it early 90s or whatever. I just was a sucker for all the music in this movie from the from the Hans Zimmer score to, to the to the early 90s country to um, just that that whole bar vibe and, and all of it. And my God, the ending! Um, oh my God, I'm well, I'm just welling up a little bit. Thing, but it is just a, it's a brilliant finish to a film. And we talk about how to end a film. I mean, it it is, um, it's just it's it's pitch perfect. It's absolutely a pitch perfect ending. Um, it's it's uh, it's a mixture between uh, being artistic, being uh, poignant and being action-packed. And I think that that can sum up Ridley Scott's filmography with those, those three things. So this, this, this movie is now a, a part of my, uh, it's a part of my elite crew here with this. Just love, 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 love it. Uh, Mike, as the, as the low one here, the, turn it over to you. As the bad guy. <laughs> I, it's funny, <laughs> funny you should say that. 
Kieran, because I think it was your Green Book episode. You were talking mm. about like road trip photography, and I was like, I wonder if Thelma Louise is going to like scratch that itch for him. So I'm glad to hear that it did. Um, mm. yeah, I really like Thelma Louise. It is another one of those things. Like this is not the movie you expect Ridley Scott to make, and he kind of nails it. I agree with Susan Sarandon's awesome. I love Gina Davis's arc in this. I love this as a movie about her sexual awakening and liberation from uh, Chris McDonald. That's his name, right? Shooter McGavin. Oh yeah, he's always going to be Shooter McGavin. But and he and he's great as just like it's a it's a big caricature, but you know it's so satisfying to watch him be just a total tool. Um, I think where it's a little lower for me is just that I it loses me a bit in the middle. I think it's a little long and could get trimmed in these sections between um the you know the tr- the traumatic impetus which i really give credit for being filmed very seriously that you know gina davis's rape scene is not kind of brushed off it is shown for the horror that it really is um i i think between that and them kind of committing to the the outlaw style kind of takes a bit long and i'm not totally sold on the harvey Keitel character i think it's a very serviceable thing kind of meant to just keep us on top of like how the investigation is going, which I feel could just be done with following Chris McDonald. So using him as like the, the synthetic male figure, it it doesn't totally work for me. It's not bad, but I think these were just kind of like, as I was trying to find spots for the list, that's why I wound up at seven for me. Yeah. It's, it's, it was interesting because uh, my, my five and my, and my six were were really fighting kind of back and forth of what was going to kind of make, ultimately make my top five and um it's it is the relationship between susan sarandon and gina davis and that ending that really sort of pull it ahead and you know kind of like it's in a negative you know in a, in a bad way i feel like this sort of gets wrapped up in like a, a gi jane kind of thing where it's like oh this is just the the kind ridley's feminist movie if if you will and i yeah. think that's such yeah. a disservice to what's really going on here because if for no other reason than there are so many movies, movies that I like that are all about the male road trick, the male bonding experience that I, you don't see a lot of movies like this. And I feel like when you do, they're they're <clears throat> almost so feminine that it's like it's like it's it's like kind of preaching. Yes, we are a feminist movie, and I don't get that from this. I just get that these two women yeah. are in a tough spot, and this is how they react to it. And that's I always like watching what I what feels to me like believable reactions to to stressful situations. Like these are normal people reacting to extraordinary measures. And you know, I and I I agree. Maybe it could be trimmed down, but like I love I just love these scenes of like them them at a coffee shop and not knowing what to do because it's it's immediately what followed. And I'm like, well, fuck, that's I, I would need a moment to kind of yeah. figure out what would happen too. Yeah, and I, and you know it. Just, it's not just a feminism movie. It's a friendship movie. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful friendship. It's a buddy movie, but it's a buddy <clears> movie <throat> with two, with two uh, strong women finding themselves. I, I, anyone who would any attempt to dismiss this as an attempt at, at, at feminism. I, I, I don't, I don't buy that at all. I think they're missing, they're missing a lot of nuances to this movie. It's, I think it's a great film. Well, and also just like, realities of the industry like even if it is like the the early attempt at feminism like that's kind of the name of the game in 91 um and i'm, I'm glad you guys like both called that the road trip thing out because when when we did 
Sideways on Cinemas, which is a movie I'm fine with and don't love. I picked Thelma and Louise as my double feature because I wanted the the female perspective of the road trip thing. And I I rewatched it for this and was like, good choice. This is I like this much more than I do Sideways. Uh, yeah, but I like uh, I love Sideways. Sideways yeah. is great. Sideways <laughs> I mean, is great. Yes, yeah. I, I know. I'm I'm the outlier there. I don't get it. That's an that's an all time acting snub, Paul Giamatti. There, <laughs> it is. That's true. Yeah. That is true. Um, uh, on on that sort of topic, if you were on the Academy voting, uh, voting Gina Davis versus Susan Sarandon <sighs> versus three duds, so the, the other three don't have okay, a chance so we're, of winning. So we're not taking Jodie Foster's away. No, 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 no. This, we're okay. in a we're in a fantasy Great. we're in a Great. fantasy bubble where there's three. There's three duds, three Nicole Kidman in 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 the Lucy movie versus <laughs> versus uh, versus uh, these these two. Um, who 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 are you casting your vote? I mean, like like shooting shooting from the hip. I, I'm probably going Susan Sarandon. She's so cool. I think I, so that's I'll, my pick too. Okay, so yeah, it's not going to be a sweep because I'm a Gina Davis guy in this. Uh, I mm. think Gina Davis. You you mentioned her arc, um, and yeah, boy, yeah, she's just on fire in this, she, in this she, section of her career too. Yeah, she has the better arc. It just seems kind of wild card at times. I think she's overdoing it a, a couple of steps, and I I kind of dial back from that because it's like oh, she's been married to this tool her whole life and hasn't had an opinion to herself, so she's entitled to act like a thirteen year old with her giddiness and stuff. Um, they're, they're both well-deserved nominations. I don't know if they split the vote between themselves or if everybody was just clearly it was going to be Jodie Foster, which is a great pick too, but it's a strong year for lead actress. Mm. I, here, here in, in another world, what I would love to, to have seen happen is what happened with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where they just made a decision. Leo mm. gets lead. We know he's not going to win, and it really sets Brad Pitt up to win. Yeah. And the reason is like give Susan Sarandon lead so that Gina Davis, who does I think mm-hmm. also have the better arc, she can win her second best supporting actress uh, Academy mm-hmm. Award. Yeah, the old yeah. category fraud. The old category fraud. And, and speaking <laughs> of the tool, speaking of the tool she's with, I mean, we're going to talk about people going for it. I mean, Christopher McDonald in this. I mean, he yeah. he's acting yeah. like he's being held at gunpoint. And, and the world will end unless he goes over the top. I mean, it is, of, this is this is something his performance in this movie. One of the best scenes in the movie is when the cops are at his house and they're instructing him how to pick up the phone. And he, <laughs> well, hey, Louise, how's it going? She just immediately hangs up like he does. Oh, does so such a great scene, such a great scene. Yeah, I I, I want to leave a very. I'm gonna I'm gonna put something out there that I'm not gonna follow up on. Uh, but if you're curious message me side uh christopher mcdonald uh when when my wife was still working up in bellingham uh, hit on my wife we'll leave it at that uh but there's a f- <laughs> very fun story that's behind that okay. um <laughs> okay so uh glad uh uh Thelma and louise karen that was your three that's where we were working correct that was my three yes okay. my three is black hawk down Ooh. don't have it on my list uh, I I have seen it. Not on my not on my. Didn't make my top five. Oh wow! Okay, there it is. Just me, huh? Um. So I guess I I love I would love to start just kind of with like what what is it about the movie that doesn't crack the top five for for either of you? I'll I'll start. You, yeah, um, you better. I, have, I got some stupid shit to say. Yeah, I haven't I have an issue with the narrative and the 
the character, the characterization in the movie, I, I have, I have a hard time connecting with the characters in the movie. It, it's, it's super stylistic. It's cool to look at. Um, it's, I, I just, there's a, there's a lack of connection here. And, it, and in many ways, it's a good example of a lot of the things I don't love about Ridley Scott as a director. Uh, um, I, I, I find it kind of cold at some points and just, it, again, difficult to connect to. And that might be a me thing. Um, I think that, I think that this movie is, is, is market corrected by a, by a Hurt Locker a little later on. Um, that, that, that gets a little more human. And this is a little, a, a little flashy technical for me. Uh, uh yeah. Mike. Um, yeah, I got, I got, this is really probably the stupidest critique I'll make this entire show. So I, I watched this one and I had to split this one up over two nights. And so part of my critique here is about to come from like, I think I picked the exact wrong moment to stop. Um, I think it's one, it's too big. I'm going to back you up on that, Kieran. It's too big. It's, it's too many characters. It's too much. It's asking you to like follow along with. Um, I think it's also too repetitive. And this is the stupid critique because I stopped the movie at this point and I go to work the next day and I'm thinking, I'm going to finish Black Hawk Down tonight. But what do I think so far? And I'm like, it's the same conflict playing out over. It's, it's these guys are on the street. They, they're holed up in this corner. And the whole time it's just, holy shit, look at all these militia guys shooting us. How are we going to get out of that? And then they shoot their way out of it and they get to another street and it's the same. Holy shit, look at all these militia guys. Now that's a stupid critique because if I was there at the operation, that's exactly what I'd be thinking if I had a moment to think to myself. So I I can't blame it for being true, but it, it felt like that's the beat, that's the beat. And, and then the night I came back and watched the second half was when it finally had some breathing room and we had a lot of the scenes I actually liked where they're taking care of the wounded. The the scene of getting the guy's artery out of his leg is a tough watch, but that one like connected with me. Um, I have this kind of theory that I think Ridley Scott for a couple of years there in the late 90s and early 2000s resented that he didn't direct Saving Private Ryan. Because especially wow. cinemat- cinematography speaking, he is he aged a lot. Like Gladiator is replete with what Spielberg and Janusz Kaminski kind of pioneered with the the shaky cam and the you know newsreel footage kind of look. Because he doesn't in Gladiator. I think this is kind of Ridley Scott finally scratching that itch for himself. I think he does it well. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It makes my top ten, but it's I I'm with you, Karen. Like I need more focus. I need like a couple squads of guys because there's a lot I appreciate about this. But I don't feel like I've got a lot of time to connect with a ton of people. And it's also maybe a movie I feel, maybe I need to think on this more, but I'll just go for it. It's a little too propagandic for me, especially situated where it is is a very recent like post 9-11 movie and talking about like, is it worth us for us to be here fighting this war in the Middle East? And uh, what's his name? The lead who's in Pearl Harbor, Josh, Josh Hartnett. Hartnett. Yeah. Josh Hartnett has these speeches like, well, we can, it's it's wrong what's happening and we can we can do something about it or we can watch it on CNN or something like that. And and I don't think the movie is like gung-ho, hoorah. You know, it's, it's not like the way Michael Bay would have handled it, but I don't know that it feels, I don't, I don't feel like it dwells deeply enough into these ideas. I think it kind of like has characters say those lines but at the end it is it's the saving private ryan thing it's it's the brotherhood it's we're in this together and 
I, I think that stuff still works well, but it's not an all-timer Ridley Scott for me. It's it's a very solid one. It's one I'd be happy to watch again, but I'm not a mega fan. Yeah, and I also don't think it's a bad movie just to, to back it up. And I kind of yeah. I, I kind of think the directing nominee is 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 cool in that. And if I'm not mistaken, it got a film editing nominee too. It won. Yes, it won. It won uh, film editing. That's yeah. what the, yeah, nice. Um, yeah. All right, so Adam, go. Yeah, it, it's funny. I it, it's so it's so cool to say the next thing that I'm going to say because it's so kind of counter to what you were all uh, all doing. Um, I think this is the most innovative and best directed film that Ridley Scott has done. Um, Ooh. I I really really like what he's doing, and I, it's it's hard to not think about uh, a war movie post Saving Private Ryan and think about the influence that that movie has had on on the war movies following it. Um, for me, I think what what I like about it a lot. It, well, and I actually I want to respond to the nine eleven thing, which is interesting because I think that's just bad timing because the movie mm. was being filmed pre nine eleven, and then it comes out, mm. and then it, it's hard to not make those right, very direct right. um, comparisons. And I do think that there is a a section of this country that probably was like, yeah go America and, and let's go over there and, and kick some ass, which is unfortunate. I think it's an unfortunate side effect of when this movie came out and what was going on in the country. Um, but I think, and I think for those reasons of like seeming repetitive and what they're trying to go through, I think that's why I like it. I do like the ticking clock nature. Like it's, it is relentless and I don't know, maybe that's just the, like the masochist in me, but I think that's kind of why I, I, I enjoy it. It's, it's, it's a hard movie to watch. That, that um, the, you mentioned the artery scene, which is just my god. Oh, um, oh. but I don't know. I I watched it before we did our gladiator episode, and we were kind of talking like you know, like kind of what we're doing here, Ridley Mount Rushmore. And I don't I don't know if it made mine then, but it it it's it's making mine now. It's my number cool. three. All right, I love it. I I love it, and, and yeah. well said with that. I don't know if this is a false equivalency, but I had a similar experience to this when. Uh, I watched the Thin Red Line. Have you guys seen the, the Thin Red Line? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. I kind of had a, a similar thing where there was just a lot of a, a lot of moving around and a lot of over stylization where I had a hard time connecting to to what actually was was going on with the story. So uh, I yeah. don't I don't know if if that makes sense. Well, what I what I think is interesting about that is that I think the Thin Red Line is actually trying to give you connections to each of these people. And depending on how you feel about that movie, it I don't think it succeeds very well. Whereas with Black Hawk Down, you're not you're not necessarily getting to know a lot about these guys, and it's I don't think it's the point. I think it's about these are soldiers who went in and they're stuck, and how the fuck do we get out? Right. I mean that's that's the point of the big ensemble is so you like remember the characters, you know, because because that's one of the great things is like it's Orlando Bloom and it spends this like it's his first time in the battle and he just falls out of the helicopter and breaks his back and that's you know they get him out and that's the last you see of Orlando which is kind of great um shout out to Jason Isaacs I I love him he's my MVP of that movie he's great (laughs) yeah and to to tie that back to to Ian as you mentioned this earlier uh, about first films uh, Adam and uh you guys disagreed on on Badlands I love Badlands and and I watched it because you guys covered it I was like oh you know Nurse Hance is short I, I didn't like Thin Red Line, and I don't know if I'm going to like this one. And totally dug it. I'm, I'm Team Ian with with Badlands, the great great one. I'm yeah, not. Stand alone I'm not anti Badlands. I just don't think it's <laughs> as good as other people do. Um, okay, we're close. We're so close. Two. So close. Mike, 
What is your number two? My number two is Blade Runner. And Karen, that was your five. Five, yes. Uh, just so that we're all aware, Blade Runner would be my six. Mm. Higher than I would have expected, actually. I I know that we covered it on the tribute episode, and my my esteem for Blade Runner went up so much doing the. I can't even count the hours of research I did onto Blade Runner when we covered it on the show because I did not want to fuck that up. Um, but ultimately, I would. It's it's just comes down to a factor of I would rather watch any of these top five before Blade Runner again. Right, and crafting a top five list, watchability is a big factor for me too. Like it's a time commitment. So here's my thing: I debated putting Blade Runner lower. It's probably not the one I'm going to reach for over the Martian or Matchstick Man or Gladiator. Um, but damn it. <laughs> and I resent this. I, I have had a long and troubled history with Blade Runner. And I've covered it on Cinemus too. It was a very early episode for us. We uh, double featured it with Akira. I hated Blade Runner. Probably the first three times I saw it. Why, do, why three times? Why do I keep coming back? And I've kept waiting for that watch where it just clicks and all of a sudden i'm like sci-fi masterpiece this is amazing and it's not happening it's just i like it a little more every just like you adam i like it a little more every time i see it but i keep wanting to go back and it is a movie it is like the president of this club of movies i talk about on cinemas all the time of movies that are more fun to talk about than they are to watch and that is blade runner but the the poll the desire of me to say like there is a lot here and I'm going to drag it out one viewing at a time. Um, that's what puts it so high for me. I, your Blade Runner show is great, Adam. We have, we have similar points. Um, it's a movie that exists to create the world. Like its contribution in science fiction since 1982 owes it all to Blade Runner. And the acting is not stellar with the exception of Rutger Hauer, who I think should have won best supporting actor for 1982. Cause I love him in the freaking movie. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's an enigma and it's one of the ones that puzzles me and that I don't, I don't dare say I'm a hyper fan of, but I keep coming back to it. And it's, it is a good movie. Like I'm, I'm almost loath to admit it, spending so many years trying to prove it's not, it is, but it takes so much work. So, it, you know, but you know, it's my list so I can put it in one or two, yeah. even though all this sounds like a lot of work. Kieran, what about you? This was your this was your so, five. This was my five. So this is so great. This is so great because uh, I I have a lot to say right now. I know. Uh, uh, bear with me here, because uh, I broke a, a cardinal sin of one thousand and one by one here with this, and and that is and Adam, you've said this in a, a bunch of episodes. Is that we you know we're not here to just pick the movies and keep the movies in the book that you're supposed to like and that are are widely recognized. You know, no. But do you like? I don't like this movie. I have like a shellfish allergy to this movie. It's like, you know, uh, uh, it's like I know lobsters, everyone, it's making everybody around the world so happy, but I break out in hives and it just, it, it just, it gets into my skin. And then, uh, so I rewatched this last night, like, like a good soldier, um, because I knew that, like, it was, do I watch a new one or, or I think I really am supposed to revisit Blade Runner here, the final cut? I got, I got to do it. Um, I'm very happy that I did. I'm very happy to did because I think, Mike, you said it perfectly where this is a movie that you like a little bit more every time you see it because it's it's super ambitious. 
it is it, it, it's just it's it's a movie that is it, Adam you led this whole thing off with world building this is the definition of Ridley Scott world building yeah. I mean yeah. he's building a world bigger than the story he's building but you know what helped me this time through with this because this is it is is quantifiably a great movie as far as as, as far as movie making and cinema and whether you like it or not or whether it entertains you or not you, it's very difficult to sit here and say that it, there's not big things going on here uh, from from beginning to end but what got me through this time was just going in n- knowing that this is a film noir and forget about the, forget about the the, the the futurism and forget about the you know the the, the wacky characters and, and the little people and all that stuff it is it's film noir first and if you if you chain yourself to that concept it is a much more enjoyable watch and you can get into the passion between a, a sean young and 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 harrison ford and i really this time around i really dug that and i have to say if you've come this far with us listening to this you gotta listen to adam's tribute uh tribute episode with Blade Runner. It is a wonderful, wonderful podcast episode of all the tribute episodes you did to Ian. That one is, I mean, you two, you two crush it, crush it in that episode. And in listening to today, my mind was just the wheels of my mind were churning, thinking about the movie and thinking about my experience with it. And, and while I'm not necessarily enjoying myself, I'm sitting there looking at the screen. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to talk about. And it's, it, it, it is a great, it's a great film. Now I got, I got to, I, I, I know I've talked a lot here, just throw, throw some pet peeves. I have a little one, a pet peeve of mine is that why everything in the eighties, every futuristic vision, the eighties has to look like a Michael Jackson music video. It just kind of drives me, drives me nuts a little bit. Um, and, and the other thing too is you, I know you guys both love the villains performance, but I just, I, wow. I, I it just, it just looks to me like someone took Billy Idol and buried him in the pet cemetery and he rose up and wreaked havoc. <laughs> <laughs> town. I can't get past that concept. That's just what it is to me. So, all right, tag, tag, tag me out. Tag me out. Uh, I, I got more, but I think you should jump in, Adam. I, I mean, I uh, think. Well, first of all, thank you for the the, the wonderful Blade Runner compliment. Um, and it's it's okay. So, I mean, I think this is one where it's. And I, I I asked the question on the episode when we when we when Brittany and I covered it. You know, but the the style over substance and. And you can certainly glean a lot, you know, in terms of thematic issues and things that can be can be definitely like delved into much further conversations. But like we talked, we I mean, Brittany and I talked about the opening visuals of going over the city with that the score, and it was just like, I mean, that alone is worthy of conversation. And so, it, I just wish it's like, you know, I, I I think I just want a little bit more. And 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 I, I agree that the film noir kind of helps. Uh, helps kind of pull you through the movie, but I think by continuing some of those those tropes into the '80s, there's something that I don't know. It, it's a lot of worlds trying to mesh into one, and, and it, I can't necessarily click to 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 all of them at the same time. And to to keep it real, I, I do think kind of the ambiguity does get away from Ridley Scott a little here. To, to bring it back to what we're talking about with. Alien Covenant and Prometheus and these ideas of creator and creation and all that. I, I think Blade Runner does it best out of the movies he's done, but there is a lot of leeway that he's doing with the, the unanswered questions and all that. And I, I do think 
I don't want to call it lazy, but it's not as tight. It's not as structured. There's that fine line between like leaving things ambiguous and there's like, okay, well, it could just be freaking anything. Then Blade Runner falls into that trap a little bit. Um, I, I think what you get out of it is still rewarding. I, I was interested on that episode. One, I 100% agree with Brittany that, um, well, first of all, that the final cut is the cut I assume we're talking about here um, is the good one. Yeah, but also that that even that cut needs to lose the unicorn thing. That the movie is so much better without the unicorn twist. It's I think you guys said it. You said it best. I I might be messing it up, but you said it's it's kind of the antithesis of the entire point of the story about a, a guy who's losing his humanity and who's like the challenge is thrown down by someone who's not human to to do better. That this guy who's a replicant has shown what it is to be human and you know harrison ford's trying to regain that and for ridley scott to be like oh you want one more like brain puzzler in my super heavy science fiction movie what if he's a replicant too like well then nothing matters and you're just spinning the top for no reason well i i have a reaction to that because i have a reaction to it i hate the concept about him being a replicant i don't i don't want to believe that i don't believe that but why i do like the leprechaun and the, and the origami the end is i, I thought that it and this was just a personal interpretation of some someone who's seen the movie like three times, so not someone who's who's watched this a million times over their life. I I lo- I thought for a moment there that he was in her shoes, and he understood where confusing a thought from your youth and and being confronted with the idea that what you have and what you remember isn't really there. Yeah. I viewed that him maybe stepping into her shoes for a second, which is which is kind of kind of what I took out of it, or, or or what I liked about it. But yeah, which which again is like a lot of people say, like open for interpretation. To me, I've never bought that it's open for interpretation because that is such a hyper specific vision <laughs> that a close lip guy like Rick Deckard wouldn't share. That it's like I I don't know how you interpret it any other way than Gaff's read his file and knows he's a replicant because they've implanted this memory in him. I'm yeah, sure. I mean, he's yeah, not, but again, as Brittany, as Brittany highlighted, he's not in the book. He's not a replicant. It's, he takes yeah. the test and he's specifically not a replicant. So there, I mean, based on the source material, you'd have to imagine that there's some ambiguity there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I, I do want to just throw out uh, onto um, style over substance because I, I thought about this while you guys were talking about it, Adam. And, and by the way, Brittany crushed the episode. It absolutely was, was wonderful in the whole thing. But, you know, with the two of you questioning style over substance, particularly particularly Brittany, like I was sitting as a listener saying like, you guys are questioning style or substance, yet, but you, you're, you're breaking down so much complex Thanks. information that I'm sitting here as a listener. Like, wow, like this is like, I didn't think about anything. Like that's, there's a lot of substance here and you're, and you're going. So I felt like you kind of answered your own question a little bit with that is that within the walls of this movie, there is a tremendous amount to talk about. And, uh, and to me, that's some substance. No, I oh I totally agree. I I, I totally agree. And it, but I, it is one of those where it, it does, and I don't think this is a bad thing. I think it does require a lot of active work from you as a as a watcher. This is not yeah. a passive movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. Do, you know what I mean? So like, you need to bring some some of yourself to this movie. Otherwise, it's like, well, that was that was pretty looking. But other, you know, because it it could just be a very short conversation at, at that. If you're not bringing in like, ooh, let's talk about these kind of grander themes that are that are kind of um well put into the movie yeah yeah cool last thing i'll say i i think a big problem with blade run because i have like 
been there for so many people's first time watches. Blade Runner on paper, especially at the time it's made, sounds like the best movie ever. Like, can you imagine, like, if the three of us are, like, roommates in college in 1981, and one of us comes in and says, guys, so this guy Ridley Scott that made Alien that we all loved, and it's this amazing science fiction movie. So Harrison Ford, who's been crushing it as Indiana Jones and Han Solo, he's going to be in this Ridley Scott movie where he plays this detective in the future who hunts down and shoots robots that look just like people. Like, doesn't that sound like the most kick-ass, awesome science fiction movie you've ever seen? And then it's very much not that which is actually something i think you admire about it but again like you said adam it's after you've had to put a lot of work in because you get halfway through the movie your first time going like wait what he's doing like a lot of the detective stuff and not enough of the robot shooting i feel (laughs) well yeah yeah i i mean definitely you know plugged it a little bit but yeah go go back and listen to that blade runner episode um please do do yourself a favor uh Okay, so Mike, that was your number two. Mm-hmm. Kieran, what is your number two? My number two is Gladiator. Ooh. Yeah. This is a surprise. I labored, I labored over it for, for many days. <laughs> many days. Um my I have it higher. My number two is Alien. Which, if my math is correct, mm-hmm. I would guess is both of your number ones. It is indeed. I it got indeed my Nostromo t-shirt on. I'm ready to go. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. What should we talk about first? You're the boss. Let's do, let's do what is ultimately going to be ranked slightly lower. Let's talk about Gladiator first. Um, so let's see here. Uh, Kieran, you had it at two. Mike, you had it at three. You're the low one here, Mike. What, why is Gladiator yeah. at three? Um, I spent a good decade not liking Gladiator. It, and it didn't really have much to do with the movie. It had to do with the fan base. I just, it was a lot of, I guess we would call them film bros now. <laughs> it, it was in college. It, it's everybody's favorite movie. It's the the masculine, like, fight for freedom. You defend all this and, and I also like was rubbed the wrong way for a long time about everyone's like, it's this great political thriller. And I'm like, it's messages that like politicians use entertainment to do people like, is that like the most dense, like this isn't like a dense conspiracy. Thriller. Um, I've, I've come around gladiators. Great. And in terms of like watchability, like I'd put this on ahead of blade runner. Like, honestly. Yeah. Um, I, I think more just like my maybe it's just that I've had to put so much work into Gladiator. I'll be damned if it's not going to be number two. Like I'm not giving up all that effort. But again, like I mentioned, I, I was obsessed with Gladiator before I had seen Gladiator. I, I wanted to know all about it. But I was too young to watch the violence and stuff in it. Um, we'll talk about this. I'm on the fence about the Joaquin Phoenix performance, which is maybe another thing that brings it down to number three for me. But it, it is it's the sword and sandal epic. It, it's what Ridley Scott, aside from maybe like the, the thinking man science fiction movie, I think it's the genre he is best known for. And this is, this is the ultimate from him. It's, it's no question. Um, and it delivers on a very satisfying genre, like a, a good story that you want to be a part of this, you know, the general who's knocked down and fights his way up from slavery to take down the, the emperor. You know, that's a, that's a really cool, story um action scenes are handled great um is it oliver reed who plays proximo 
Yep. Oh, hell he's yeah. He's awesome. Oh, yeah. He's awesome. Hell yeah, he does. Um, Russell Crowe, we've talked about it. He's great. So it's it's kind of splitting hairs. I, I think there's just maybe some residual, not ill will, but I, I've, I've also fought my way up into liking Gladiator. And I dare say I would actually say I love Gladiator because it's an easy watch and looks great. Yeah, it's a great movie. Don't don't take it personally. It's number three. <laughs> I put a lot of work into Blade Runner, and I love Alien. I I won't take it personally. Um, Kieran, is it your number two? Uh, it's my number two, and it's my favorite. It's my favorite Ridley Scott movie, but not in not in my opinion his best. And it's again that's where ultimately this this battle that I fought with myself here as to where do I what do I go one go two do I. Are we going favorite? Are we going best? And I, I, I clamped down and we'll talk about the other movie in a little bit. But yeah, Gladiator is an important part of my uh, of my growing up and, and un- understanding um, and watching movies and, and cinema. And the performance of Russell Crowe is like none other. We talked about starting and ending movies. But the final scene with uh, Jim on Hansu um we'll meet again but but not today i mean that's just who that talk about inducing a tear and pumping a fist at the same time just what what a way to end the movie uh um mike i'm a little bit taken aback of the of the um of your introduction to the joaquin phoenix performance because um i i think that the one of the one of the worst kept secrets around best picture guys is when we finally do this movie that everyone is whispering to each other that you know who my mvp is going to be uh-huh. It's going to be Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. It's going to be because I think he is the heel of heels in in yeah. this one. I, I think he absolutely uh, I mean, just he's he's doing he's doing something that's transforming a supporting actor into someone that we're going to understand as one of the one of the best actors of, of, of their of their graduating class, quote unquote. And uh, it's a it's a it's a transformative performance here for me w- w- with him and and yeah Oliver Reed baby woo I'm coming around on the Joaquin Phoenix I I think it's that I think he just for my personal taste which everybody takes a performance a different way Rucker Howard works for me amazingly in Blade Runner it tracks with his character I totally get where you're coming from with him that that was a great Billy Idol buried in the Pet Cemetery. I think Joaquin Phoenix, like whiny muling, just goes too far in a couple places. Like this, this childish, spoiled attitude. It, it works great in some scenes, and others, I think he's just kind of overplaying it just a smidge. I, I've come back around, and it tracks for his character. You know, he's he's the weakling. He's son of the emperor everybody loves, and he's just so not that guy. But you know who is Russell Crowe, and everybody loves Russell Crowe, and he's having to deal with that. It, it, it works. I can't say like he made a bad decision. I think it's personal taste. I'm just like, I it back in a couple scenes, which is honestly maybe more the editor's fault than his. Cause Adam, I, I can't remember. It was one of your, one of these shows you did, you'd said like, it's, it's not an actor's job to decide what stays in. Like you go for it. You don't know what works until you've tried it, but it's, it's the director and the editor that go like, that was awesome. We're keeping that in and having Joaquin Phoenix at one of the games, like sticking his tongue out going, yeah. He he went yes. for that, and and Ridley Scott and the editor said, "Yay, we like it." And I, it's one that I'm like, ah, okay, it's a moment I remember. So I guess there's that. Yeah, his evil is so it's so cowardice though, but it's so evil. And when you get the two the two laced with each other, God, it's mm-hmm. so frustrating to sit there and watch the guy in power, and you're just you're just all in on this guy getting his comeuppance, and it just. 
it builds and it builds and builds. And Russell Crowe's performance is just so it's so admirable. It's so likable. And yeah, throw throw in the Hans Zimmer score. My God, I mean this. I mean this or like this. I guess this and Lion King maybe is top two. Or I guess you could split split hairs a little bit on that. But I mean, it's it's just it again. It's it's one of those scores that just that, that takes over your your emotions in not in the forceful way in the in the cinematic way. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. It's one of those movies where I think. I, you know, I was reminded sort of uh, listening to some other episodes and just and just kind of talking to students that, you know, it's the actor's job to tell the story. And um, I think this movie, like when I try to break down like the elements of film, right? I think the cast, I mean, yes, Russell Crowe as a lead is great. And and I think Walking uh, Phoenix gives a great uh, supporting almost seems like a like an insult, but a great, you know, mm. co-lead performance. I think. Even the the I mean, outside of I mean, you got you know you got famed Shakespearean actor Derek uh, Derek Jacobi as one of the uh, the side kind of senators in the in the in the world. Uh, Richard Harris, who's only in it for like the first twenty minutes of the movie. Um, so you've got that uh, for a, a movie that was so mishandled in terms of the script, kind of ending with a pretty basic story told really well. I you know the visual effects sort of kind of coming. I know people don't like some of the. Glad uh, the Coliseum stuff. I think it works well. Um, and when it is practical, when they are on set, the the costumes of it all, the production design, the score. I mean, there's just there's there's not a myth. We, we talked about not being a misfire on the cast. I don't think there's a misfire in the making of the movie. And is it a little bit long? Yeah, I, I mean, it probably. But I also have a hard time th- and working around. And then like, I mean, the thing about some of these movies that we're talking, you know, Alien, Gladiator. Uh, and Blade Runner, all of these have their issues. All of them have their like behind the scenes things. I mean, Oliver Reed died while making the movie and Legend. they still found a way to fit it into the story and make it work. And like, I don't know. I know that's one of those extra things that aren't necessarily important to the film, but it, and the nostalgia factor is real. It's all of what I just said. Plus like, I just, I just grew up with this movie and I think it's, it's, it's still really good. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I, I, I agonized over this one versus two. I really did. It, it hurt. It hurt putting it here too. And, and I'm, I'm happy that it did get some recognition in the one slot from one of us. And yeah. And just, you know, again, just to just, we've, we've glossed over him a couple of times here. Oliver Reed's performance in this is just knowing that he's you know that this was this is his last time on a set and and what he he put out on the court here with this is just just phenomenal and i'd have to think i'd have to think many people look at this as ridley scott's best directing performance i mean it's his lone best picture winner he loses to soderbergh yeah, who's who was oddly nominated twice that year, right? Which yeah. is they don't even they would never. I don't think they'd ever do that again. I don't know how many times that's even happened. And I'll, um, I'll say this: I I really like Traffic. I think in terms of movies that deal with the drug epidemic, I think Traffic is actually really high up there. But I think this was Ridley's. This was Ridley's year. Yeah. This was his chance, and it does hurt a little. Yeah, and then and I just did the Ian thing on top. I, I swore I wouldn't do this. Every episode you guys had, Ian. Ian refers to Ridley Scott on a first name basis like they're buds. And it always stuck out <laughs> to me. And I thought it was weird. And I just freaking did it. 
<laughs> that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. He's chiming in. He's chiming in yeah. with this right there. That's what that is. Um, yeah. and then I and I I don't want to just necessarily hard pivot, but let's let's talk about your number ones. Let's talk about Alien. Kieran, I'm I'm blown away by this. I never could have pegged this. So I think you should. Yeah. So, okay. So um, again, rewatched it. Rewatched it again for this one. This is one I haven't seen in several years. I saw it for the first time in 2014. So this is not a movie that was a part of my youth in in any way, shape, or form. You know, I, I was the girl I've seen at the time was like, never seen Alien. I'm like, well, we're watching Alien, Alien Two. And okay, here we go. Um, so I I don't I don't want to get too verbose with this, but um, I'm someone who is who works within the uh, the bar industry as a, in, in management and, and eventually, hopefully, in, in pr- pr- uh, propriety. And one of the things I'm learning in the process is is that in order to make to make a your establishment stand out a little bit, is you, you have to every little thing has to constantly be cleaned. There can't be dust anywhere. There can't be smudge. It can't be a smudge in the mirror. There can't be dust in the windowsill. And even if it looks fine, you got to look for places to clean. You got to look for it. And it's, it's an everyday thing. It never stops. And if you fail to do that, it, you become a quote unquote dive. The reason I'm, I'm throwing that out here is because if you look at Ridley Scott's movies, whether it's Alien, whether it's A Good Year or Legend or any of the many movies we've discussed throughout this podcast, you're not going to find a smudge on a mirror. You're not going to find dust on a windowsill. That is one of the things he does. His movies look a certain way. And that's part of the world building that you talked about, Adam. And, and two notes that, that, um, that, that I made here, just in listening to your intro, Adam, um, talking about his father and talking about his childhood. And, and Adam, you, you mentioned world building as a place that you went to if you could, if you could put, a, put a phrase to Ridley Scott, world building. To me, it's, it's and I 100% agree with it. That's 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 a better a better one than mine. But mine that I looked at first was was patience. This man is so patient while putting his films together, and and when you say that his father was a sailor, and that he, growing up really was an artist, two professions that require unlimited amounts of patience. Um, Alien just to me exemplifies all of that. I mean, this is a slow build into a slow burn into a into a wonderful, dark painting of a movie. And it's 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 one that you may not click it on and ultimately be sucked into what's going on. But if you let yourself go on the journey with these people, you're going to have an experience like no other. It's a genre transforming film. It's the greatest horror movie ever made. And honestly, hot take, I think it's, I think it's possibly the best space movie, subgenre movie ever made. The, uh, the, the, you guys highlighted this in, in the podcast that you and Ian did. Um, the, the claustrophobia, moving the set in gradually as it goes. I heard that. I was like, oh, my God, yes, I felt that. I felt that. That's, that's so cool. That makes so much sense. Um, it is, it is the, the mood, the ambiance is just so palpable. It is an incredible achievement in film. It's an incredible achievement in film. And, uh, I, I, 
I, I just don't, I don't think that any of his movies are better directed than this. I don't think many movies are better directed than this. It's, it's a, it's a tremendous, tremendous vision. It's a, it's an unbelievable experience if you turn yourself over to it. And yeah, number one, Alien Man. Mike. Man. I mean, I was about to go subjective and very hyperbolic, but I, I can't even match because I was going to say one of the top five science fiction movies, one of the top five horror movies, the best alien design in any movie ever, maybe creature design mm. in any movie ever. Uh, what you said, Kieran, genre transformative, the elevation of the, the trope of the monster, the maniac picking off the heroes from the dark corridor. And, and to circle back to what I was saying about Blade Runner, where I think the ambiguity is a strength and the different readings work, but they get away from Ridley Scott. This is the only Ridley Scott movie where I feel all the ambiguities 100% work, that the, the space to breathe and the space to explore for yourself never feels like someone said, like, ah, I'll throw something out there and you figure out what it means to you. It feels of a vision. It's in control, but there is a lot open to interpretation. The psychosexual terrors going on with hr geiger's designs um great i mean even just tripping up the plot to to spend most of the movie thinking tom scarrett's our guy he's the captain of the ship he's the hero he's gonna make it out and all of a sudden like so this ripley character that comes out of nowhere and when you rewatch the movie you're like no it doesn't we've been building her up the whole time um I, I love the Alien franchise in general. I mean, we were joking at the start of the show, Adam. I, I like Alien Resurrection. I'm not going to say it's a good movie. I'm going to say it's a pretty bad movie, but I have a lot of fun with it. Um, and it just it kicks off right away. It elevates the monster movie into high art. Um, it's just it's just kind of near perfect to me. And, and to say, like, there's there's faults I have with it. I think some of the line readings can be a little wonky, but it's it's a monster movie. I'm not going to fault it for that stuff. I, I adore it. I think it's one of the supreme contributions to creature cinema. Like the, not even just the idea of the alien itself, but this life cycle and preying on reproductive fears and that being a big part of humanity. Like it's a dense movie, but it works as it's Halloween. I want to watch a scary movie. This is manageable. It's two hours. It's great. It's a slow burn, but it's one of the great slow burns. Um, it's, it's an easy pick for me. Like as soon as we said top five, I didn't, it wasn't even like, Oh, what's number one going to be. It's like, okay, what's number two. Mm. I, uh, so I was, I, I've seen anything a couple times and I, I had it on the other night while I was sort of adding some, some finishing touches to this, this outline. And I wasn't like set, like set to watch it. Like I wasn't going to just sit down and watch it. I was going to kind of have it on and look up and get yep, cool. Great. And take notes. Um, but so many moments it it pulled me in and from basically the moment that uh they um uh John Hurt's character gets lowered down to where um the face hugger comes out i realized that not only had i stopped typing but my hands were hovering above the keyboard so i i hadn't even really moved and after the um the chest burster scene and it runs away I, I I went to like do something and I think I went to take a note and I realized that I wasn't I wasn't even on my keyboard. And I was like, oh shit. I stopped taking notes minutes ago. And the the I mean we I I hate to just be repetitive, but the way that this movie like eases you in, it's mm. just it does it so subtly. 
that you don't even realize that you're in the movie that you're in because it's like it's like guys talking about fucking bonuses and like I'm not gonna do this shit while this is going on. I fucking love Yafet Koto and Harry Dean Stanton in this uh-huh. movie, um, but like it, you don't even you don't even realize the movie that you're in and, until you're in it, and it's like and then you're right, like all of a sudden, like fucking Tom Skerritt's gone. He he's just out of the picture now. Um, don't and don't get me wrong. This being at number two is not a slight against the movie right. at all. <laughs> not even a little bit. Um, and it was one. And you know when we were prepping the the season, like this was a this was an Ian pick. But I was I was so so thrilled to get the chance to to talk about it with him. Yeah, I. <laughs> you know, I have to think. I, we have to just mention the fact that this is this comes out four years after Star Wars. Right. Two, two years, two years after two two years after Star Wars, even crazier. And and around around what about a decade after 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So this is a bold undertaking. Like, like, think about that. Like Star Wars is two years after Star Wars means that everybody is still talking about Star Wars, probably still watching Star Wars. It's probably Mm -hmm. theater still playing Star Wars. And we're only a decade after 2001 A Space Odyssey. I mean, and you're gonna you're gonna go to, you're gonna go into space with with the, uh, the fantasy creatures and doing this and that. This is a bold move, and to to hit that pitch out of the ballpark, that's some swing. And yeah. and it, it 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 and it's in many ways, it it kind of like we said, it transforms what those genres were doing. And uh, man, I know Ian. Uh, Ian was raving about Ian Holmes' performance in this mm-hmm. in the episode, and he's my favorite part of this movie too. And, and that's kind of the the tip of the cap to the how from the 2001 and and, and all that too with the 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 machine taking over man, and it's an incredible incredible performance, and and just a fascinating character. Uh, you know, of course, of course, Sigourney Weaver in this too. You you, you have to tip your cap to. Um, I I do want to throw out also. That you know, uh, Mike, you said you're a little surprised that that I that I had this at one, and you noticed that I haven't either. seen, yeah, yeah, and I haven't seen those, I haven't seen those other ones. I haven't seen Covenant, and I haven't seen uh, Prometheus, and what. I'm I'm a little afraid to go there. There's part of me that doesn't want. I like the movie as is. Listen, I'm a Terminator One guy. All right, I'm a Batman Begins guy. I like I like the move, the first movie. I like the origin, the right right there. That's the movie. The sequels don't always do it for me, man. And I'm I'm a little nervous to start expanding the world. I don't want to. I don't want to find out what the space jockey is either. I want that creepy ass image to be what it is and uh, let it haunt me that way. I don't 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 give me an origin on it. Yeah, I'm- yeah. And, and it's not gonna like ruin it. Like there's still ambiguity between like what that specific space jockey is. But you're fine to miss it. Like you're not missing out on a ton of stuff. And and if you do, you know, like two mediocre prequels can't ruin a masterpiece like i, I get kind of tired of people being like oh prometheus came now like aliens ruined fuck you like alien can't be ruined yeah yeah i to circle back i i wanted to bring up the star wars thing and this is a little behind the scenes and it's kind of more just to speak to respect i have for ridley scott because he's i think he's on an audio commentary is he, he threw out like the star wars thing that, that alien was made because star wars is a massive hit and all of a sudden fox is like well space is big and what do we have in the pipeline? And there's this script that's been sitting there for a couple of weeks called Alien. 
so it it's made to kind of capitalize off Star Wars. And Ridley Scott is openly very supportive of Star Wars. He he says like it's the he loves George Lucas's first one. It's the best one. It's his favorite one. And I just like that because a, a part of my stumbling block with Ridley Scott is kind of like Kubrick. He's he's a talented director whose work is used to undermine more populist directors whom I like. Um, and so I appreciate that Ridley Scott is a guy who's gone on record to say, I love Star Wars. I took I took a lot of this aesthetic from them and I infused it a little with Kubrick with, you know, landing a spaceship isn't, you know, the Millennium Falcon just swoops in and, you know, pulls a 180 like Ace Ventura and parks. He's like, no, landing on a planet is like a seven person job and it's meticulous. This is more Kubrick style. So I appreciate he has made his stamp. He didn't just ape Star Wars, but I appreciate that he's this respected intellectual filmmaker who says, I like Star Wars. It's kind of like how I love Kubrick saying like Spielberg's a great director. It's like game recognizes game and they like the stuff I like. And everybody who holds up like Kubrick and Ridley Scott is like, they're intellectual. They're the true filmmakers and get your George Lucas's and Steven Spielberg's out of here. I just love that I can say like, well, Ridley Scott and Stanley Kubrick like those guys' movies a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, and, 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 yeah, and, you're, and obviously, and, and in this book right here, um, they they talk about that that Ridley definitely aped not just from um, Star Wars, but Close Encounters as well. Yeah, yeah he made his own thing, and it's it's a masterpiece. It's yeah, great, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and one last thing on Alien to to point out a, a great episode and and really like to be sentimental i listened to the alien episode yesterday and it was great to hear ian's voice and to be gushing mm. about this movie that i like to gush about um but you guys talked about the supplements ridley scott's a guy who's got some great making of documentaries um the dangerous days documentary for blade runner is amazing it's almost better than blade runner and the uh, the alien quadrilogy the anthology is maybe my favorite blu-ray set that i own and I just wanted to throw this out there, Adam, that you guys are right. Dan O'Bannon is the most entitled print alive, but I could listen to him all day. I love those interviews. I When I was re-listening to the episode, I was like, you know what? Like, Dan O'Bannon makes me want to rip my face off. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, I, he, With oh, bow tie. Oof. Yeah. Oh, what a, what a. Mm. He's your own. He's your own personal face hugger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. Um. So, uh, you know, I, I've, I've done the, uh, the, the, the calculating over here, and uh, I've assembled our cumulative top five Ridley Scott films. Exciting. So, here we go. Number five, Thelma and Louise. Number four. Blade Runner. Number three, and surprisingly high, not nothing wrong with this, The Martian. Yeah. Number yeah. two, Gladiator. And number one, Alien. Those are That's top solid. five Ridley Scott films. How do we feel about that list? Pretty good? Yeah, that's great. I feel real good about it. I want to ask you this, Adam. How would Ian feel about that, in your mm -hmm. opinion? Um. So knowing Ian uh, kingdom of heaven would have been in his top five. I don't know where I, I think we, when we talked about um, on gladiator, we talked about the four films that, of Ridley Scott's that were in the book, which are gladiator, Thelma and Louise, blade runner and alien. And we, we kind of, and, and his friend Josh was on that episode too. And we kind of came to the agreement that those are like the four right movies to have in the book. Um, 
there's I don't think there's any way that Gladiator or Blade Runner or Alien is not on his list. I think Kingdom of Heaven would be as well. And so it's sort of this idea of what is that fifth movie? Um, but I, I got to say, I think I, I and it's it's funny because I, I got done watching The Martian and I thought I that's like the one movie I'm not totally positive. I don't think he hated it, but I don't know how much he enjoyed it. So The Martian might be the one that we got shit for. But other than that, I think he would think this is a solid list. I think awesome. so, too. Can I, can I pitch? I think I actually have a, I think I might know what his top five would be. Sure. I'm gonna throw, and then Liz can, can chime in. For me. I, I, we Blade love Liz here. One. We love Liz. <laughs> Blade Runner would be number one. I think you would have Alien at number two. I think you would do Gladiator at three. I think you'd do Kingdom of Heaven at four. And I think you'd have Thelma and Louise in five. Hmm. That's, that, that does sound That's about my right. Theory. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I, I think I could, I could see him throwing a curveball in the five. Just to keep it interesting, but just I think you're probably year. right there, Mike. I, I honestly would not be surprised. <laughs> I honestly would not be surprised if if a good year made his five. Wow. But I know that Kingdom of Heaven would. I know that. Very cool. So I mean, I mean, here's the thing: we are we have just broached uh, best picture cast length with this episode. Oh, that's that's me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that, no, it's contagious. There, there was a uh, we we tried to stick to the typical things that we would talk about on a director ranking we had to build our library talk our top five um uh kieran mike i i not just appreciate you coming on to talk ridley scott but spending so much time doing it you and you're not on pacific standard time so i know it is much later for both of you where you are kieran's the mvp here we owe it all to you man no that's all good and and i remember one of the one of my interactions at the end that, I, that i'll just share is when you know we were talking and i said hey you know check out one of our episodes and i think the first episode he listened to and gave a little criticism on was was silence of the lambs our, our silence of the lambs episode and he said uh he said it's really good you know i, I like it you know you might want to consider possibly bringing the runtime down a little bit <laughs> and we didn't take his advice unfortunately and not only that, but in his in a tribute episode to him, we've run a long time. <laughs> we've run a long time, a run time up, probably longer than any one thousand and one episodes been. So uh, I, I tip my cap to you, and I, I do thank for him for his insight. But uh, I, I love him nonetheless. Um. So uh. Uh. So this this is a is a special release. Um. Uh. And and I I again I don't know necessarily the the future of a thousand one by one and what it'll mean, but um. It it felt right. It felt like the the right people to come on and talk about it. And um. And it was it was fun to to talk Ridley Scott with with both of you. Um. Any any final words want to be shared before we we wrap it up here? I just want to plug 1001 by one. Go listen to the archives. They're out there. I myself, uh, as they came out back in the day when when Ian and Adam were doing them, I would listen to them on my walk to work. And I still do now. I listen to the archives on, on my walk to work. It's a, it's a weekly routine for me. And it's there's a ton of film knowledge in there. They're all available to you. Adam is releasing them as he goes. There's still a little uh, some out there that, to, that are still waiting to be released. So you, you can you can wait on the edge of your seat a little bit for it. But there's so much knowledge that even though he's not with us today, 
has to offer us. And, uh, and it's just, it's great banter and great conversation. It's, it's a wonderful podcast. So, so that's the plug that I have for you today. And I'll just, I'll just throw an appreciation that it, it meant, it meant a lot to me to be picked as part of the crew for a big show to tackle Ridley Scott, to, to honor Ian. And, and as a fan of a thousand one by one, especially the list shows that I've loved playing along with at home and chipping in to, to be invited on meant a lot. So thanks guys. Yeah. Um, and thank you. Yeah. Thank you both. Yeah. Uh, so, so Mike, Kieran, again, Mike running cinemasts, uh, Kieran over best picture cast, uh, please give them a follow. Please listen to their shows. They're, they're in different ways. Totally great listens. Um, so uh this is on our this is on the below freezing feed because it because it is um uh but if you've stuck around uh to listen to this whole thing uh we truly appreciate it you can still find us on twitter and kind of let us know what you think about our list if we got it wrong what we should have put on there instead um nothing to stay tuned for because if it comes up we'll let you know uh but until um, we, we all kind of meet again, uh, this has been a thousand one by one. My name is Adam. Ian, this one was for you. <laughs> <laughs>